The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. What's up, Joe? What's up, Joe? So we should say <laughs> right away off the bat, because people don't know, you really did break Francis Ngannou's punch record. Yeah, so I don't know what the confusion is. You know, I I, I didn't want to. A lot of people are they doubt it just because he's so big. So I'm gonna post it. Uh, well, we just sent it to Jamie. Yeah. We sent one where you broke. You went to 170. Yeah, so one. Let's yeah, see 170. One. So you got Eddie Hall. Yeah. So he got 113. And Francis had gotten 129. We're trying to break Ngannou's record right now. I had already hit <laughs> four times. Woo! 170. Now, the only thing that, so this is the thing that people don't understand, though, is it, it's the same machine. I think everybody thought it was like one of those punching bags that are down at the, the right. boardwalk. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's aggravating because I pride myself in my power. I, I, I want to hurt you. You know what I mean? Like, that's my intention. I'm trying to, I, I mean, we all Clearly. throw with power, right? But yeah. I feel like I have a little different intention sometimes. So, you know, I've always prided myself in hitting hard. I've always felt like I hit harder than everybody. Um, now, sure, I'm sure Francis's punch feels different than mine, but I got speed, I got power, and I walk at like 220 when I'm out of camp. So I'm not a small guy, you know what I mean? I'm 6'2", 220 when I'm hitting that. And even then, probably there, I was probably late because I was injured. So I was probably about 212, 214 when I hit that. And just to put it up, I'm going to post it whenever uh, I get back home. And uh, I'm going to post a video, and I'm going to post the picture also of me hitting higher than that at 181. I only have the picture, but Tuco, who's Brendan crazy. Allen's coach, was there. <laughs> I think someone has kicked it up to, like, 187. I think that's the newest high kick, which is crazy. Kick, yeah. Yeah, that your, <laughs> your punch is that close to a kick. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. Now, I get it. Uh, it's a standstill object, right? Yeah. I can smash that thing. Right. I my man. But I've got, been... Here's Aljo and Wonderboy kicking it. There's someone just did 189. I don't know who that is. Uh, Lorenz Larkin. That's go. Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, I think he's got the record now. Lorenz, who used to fight in the UFC, now I guess he's with the PFL now, right? Because I thought he was Bellator. Right? Oh yeah. Well, Bellator merged. is the PFL now. Yeah, but Lorenz oh, got yeah, 189. Oh Jesus, he got 235. Wow. Lorenz can fucking kick hard. Yeah. That's a super underrated dude. I always go to his fight with Neil Magny. Go watch that fight. Jesus. I would love to that see Diego Lima. Strike. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Jose. There's probably a few, quite a few guys that can kick like that. But Lorenz, like, if you watch him, that technique is just p perfect. He's perfect. The way he sh switches his hips, the way he turns his body into it is just maximizing it. Yeah. I you mean, know? it's really, I mean, some people, I, it's weird, you know, for me because a lot of people think I have natural power. And I get annoyed with it because I've I've never had anything natural in my life. I, you know, everything was difficult. Learning it, learning jujitsu, learning how to box. You know, everything was hard for me to learn. So I have a bitter chip on my shoulder when people are like try to discredit it with natural power. Well, I don't know. A, there but. is a thing though where there's a there's like you could unlock horsepower in a human being, but you only have so much when it comes to power. There's certain people, and I think you've all we've all seen them. They just don't hit hard. Yeah. For whatever reason, and they yeah. look big.
They can look strong. And then there's certain guys that, for whatever reason, they fucking hit crazy hard, and they're not that big. And a lot of it is efficiency and fluidity and the technique and the leverage, and that's all learned, right? But there's, like, a certain thing to, like, bone structure and just natural power. My bone's got to be trash, Joe, because I'm <laughs> fucking having two surgeries and I just being think beat it's up. the amount of power that you generate. I mean, that's probably a lot of it, too. It's probably know? a corny thing to say, but I was told that I almost generate too much force for my bone density to handle. Um, I don't know how true that is. I don't know if they were just kind of stroking sense. my ego. But well, it makes sense. That's why your hands break. When uh, when people's hands break, that's why they break, because you're literally generating too much force for your bone structure. Yeah. Mom, my, Dude, when you fought Razak Al-Hassan, you are on... There's like there's a thing that happens with fighters where you see them... You see anxiety, you see first fight, you see nerves, you see jitters, you see skills, but it's hard to like see the full range of them. And then they start getting comfortable. And when they start getting comfortable, like uh, the Mearshart fight, you just stomped him. Yeah. But the Razak Al-Hassan fight, like, dude, you were on another level. Like, that's like, when, when people talk about a guy in the gym, like, dude, you got to see this motherfucker in the gym. And then... Seeing that manifest itself inside the octagon to me. That's one of my favorite things to see I love watching guys show their potential, you know, and in that fight Razak al-Hassan is a beast Yeah, He's a dog. He's a dangerous dude and you just put on a fucking show in that fight You looked like you were on a completely different level like you had gone up several rungs from where you were before You know what's crazy about it though the, the whole process of what's gotten me to that point has been Nothing shy of just, man, if I'm mentally happy, I'm going to destroy everybody. But I often struggle mentally, you know? Like, I, bro, I didn't turn it on. My coaches were all scared in the back um, just because they know me so well. I'm an emotional dude. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like, I say how I feel. Um, you don't really have to read the room. You can read my face, you know what I mean? You understand where I'm at. And I'm not, I'm not shy to say where I'm at. So uh, that whole week was off. Uh, Sean wasn't in the corner. He got sick. I had some issues with a, with a best friend and I've known for 12, 13 years. He didn't get to come out and, and just I, everything was like off. I, I had, uh, I had MRSA on my bicep on my forearm two weeks before. Oh shit. I was on I had antibiotics before that. I gotten, uh, I split my toes open where they separated. So the bone so I like, I could barely, like I got all swollen, bro. I've never had an easy camp and I was I was having nightmares for the first time of getting knocked the fuck out like all week during my weight cut during training I had these crazy nerves I would get cold sweats like I thought something was wrong and uh, I never had that before you know and I was contemplating like man I'm not gonna rush my career maybe this isn't the right move but uh, was it the step up in competition no no what? so so this is crazy it's gonna come off well it's not crazy but it comes off as really arrogant like Abdul was not a step up in competition for me he was a step up as far as you know power you know and, and people that I fought uh, as far as you know people that have the ability to knock you out you consequences know? So, yeah yeah there's consequences for small error and uh, but I knew skill for skill dude's not on my level. I knew Gerald Mershart, Mershart, however you say it, whenever, I, bro, I mean, that dude, to me, without being disrespectful, is I don't know how he's been in the UFC. Um, the guy I first fought, you know, he's not in the UFC anymore, but he had eight knockouts. I'm not, 
I've been doing this for 23 years. I started at four and a half years old. Um, I don't want people to think that I'm cocky or arrogant, but I am. I am cocky. I'm confident, you know? Don't you think you kind of have to be? Yeah, you're, you do have to be. a fucking cage fighter. It's your, it's your protection barrier, too, yeah. from, from people to just openly try to cut you down. Because everybody, like, like hitting that punching machine, everybody immediately discredits uh, right. says that Dana White just wants to get after Francis Ngannou. That's why they didn't release the video. I told you at the Austin fight. Right. I was pissed off it didn't get posted. You right. know what I mean? Like, well, it's posted now. Yeah, so uh, it's posted now, and, you know, it's on a big platform. But, yeah, man, I mean, Abdul was just somebody you had to be careful with, but I didn't think he boxed better than me, and I think DC even says it as I'm walking into the cage. And uh, his best shot was to knock me out, and if he couldn't knock me out, he wasn't winning that fight. So. Well, it's also very evident. Like, you're one of those guys that's v- v- at the top of the 185-pound division in terms of like, physical stature. You don't get much bigger at 185. It's like you and guys like Pajeda, which Pajeda doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Like, I was always like, how? How the fuck are you 185? Oh, man, I, even how? when I look at Yeah, I mean, when I look at him, like, I've seen, it's so weird. We've seen each other so many times. There's no head nod. There's no respect. There's no, like, uh, even him, like, man, I think a lot of guys are overrated in this fucking sport. You think that guy's overrated? I mean, look, I don't think his, I think, he, <laughs> I think getting hit by him isn't overrated, right? But. He's very stiff, and he's got that off switch. He's got that off switch. Well, he definitely is he, is does he at him 85. Was, yeah. Yeah, at 85. I don't know about I, 205. I but. think that is a big part of the weight cut. I think his weight cut is borderline dangerous. Like, I think that a weight cut to 85 yeah, could, kill, could kill you. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's just so tough that he doesn't. But I think there's there's a point of diminishing returns, and yeah. certainly with your chin. Yeah. And when Izzy cracked him, obviously Izzy hit him perfect. It was pinpoint, and then rocked him with the second shot. But the way he went out, I was it's, like, it's gone. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna say any names, but you know, there there's a guy that just recently lost who I like, and it's like, man, like when you've had that off button shut off to mm-hmm. the point where you're frozen, and it's not like you got TKO'd. It's off. Yes, uh, there's I've, a thing that happens to guys when they've taken too many shots. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah, I've never I've never been laid out. Um, last time I was ever dropped, I was 18 years old. I got dropped by a guy that used to be in the UFC for a brief moment. Uh, it was Tim Williams. <laughs> he fought your boy Eric Anders, who, mm. uh, who I, I, I like. He's cool. But uh, but yeah, no, I've never been. I've never had the lights like shut off or anything. So thankful for that. But uh, I pride myself on my defense too. You know what I mean? I don't. It's critical. I mean, yeah. a strong defensive base is so important when when you know how to move well. I was just watching this documentary that the UFC put on. Uh, about Anderson Silva. And it's not that I forgot how good Anderson Silva was. Smooth. <laughs> Super smooth. Super fluent. Everything, man. When he was in his prime, his fucking defense, too, was so perfect. He was so hard to hit clean. His range, man. You know, when you're taller, oh. these guys underestimate range. And, and, you know, everybody wants to brawl, but people don't understand range. You know, you should be able to slide back and it just grazes your beard, you know? Mm-hmm. like. So, uh, range is everything, yeah. and also the mechanical advantage of that long frame when Anderson would throw that torque on guys, you know. And when he was in his prime, like you watch like the Rich Franklin fights and the Chris Lieben fight, and like that fucking dude was special, man. But so, defense now let, was a let big me part ask you because I'm a huge fan of the old school days mm-hmm. more so than the, the new school. Um, I just think it was more raw and just like there were, like I liked when everybody was on roids. You know everybody was on roids. But that's exactly the stipulation, right? You know, we're so hard on the athletes of today. They pop right. for something that's not even a performance ha- 
performance enhancing level. Yeah. But these guys had their reign and were never discredited, but we know they were all on shit. Right. Well, I always talk about TRT Vitor. You know, T I think TRT Vitor, the, the Vitor best. that fucked up Luke Rockhold and yeah. Michael Bisping. That dude, I put him up against anybody ever. He yeah. he was fucking terrifying. But he was also like silverback gorilla levels of testosterone. Yeah. He was like off the charts. Like when they tested him, one of the reasons why they stopped TRT is because they tested Vitor one time. And he was so far off the charts. They were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and he had said that, you know, he was gonna be in America for like a week. And so the doctor just gave him a big dose to like last for the week. Mm. I just think he just oh, look up next to you. He looks oh man, almost the same size. Well, Yoel yeah. Romero. I'm a huge fan of Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero is the freak of all freaks, and I've said this many times before on this podcast. But he is the single most impressive athlete I have ever seen in all my years of watching fights. How old is he? Forty four now. He's at least forty four. He might be forty five, forty six. Oh man. Yeah, Juice Juice Vitor was was the bomb. Though. Yoel didn't him. even need Juice, man. He was a part of the Cuban athletic program. And there's something about that dude, whether it's genetics or who knows what it is, but I've told this before, so I apologize for anybody who's heard this. The UFC had brought him to a doctor after one of his fights. I think it was one of his fights in Australia. And the doctor said to the UFC, where did you get this guy? And he go, and, and they were like, uh, he's one of our fighters. He goes, I've never seen anything like him. He goes, yeah, he's pretty amazing, right? He goes, no, you don't understand. I've never seen a human being like him. The tendons in his eyes are three times larger than normal. They said that his his orbital bone, when oh. it fractured, by the time they got him to the doctor, like a couple days later, it already started healing. Like, this guy's a fucking wolverine. That dude was eating fucking bark or Probably. something from growing up. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he was something super special. That I, guy was, I have to say, I, I, I he was... He was someone that I loved watching. I oh. loved that Paulo Costa and Yoel oh, Romero yeah, fight and whatnot. I was always sad I never got to see him win a belt before he, uh, well, before he, he left. Well, he was in the UFC. <clears throat> like, uh, he started in the UFC, I believe, in his very late 30s. Yeah, like 37. Yeah, something crazy like yeah. that. Like when he knocked out Lyoto Machida, I think he was like 38, 39. Yeah. yeah. He was already at the range where most guys are looking to hang it up. But look at a guy like that, right? I mean, I don't think he's that, that technical. I don't think he's uh, was wrestling very technically uh, wrestling 100 percent, you know. Yeah. But he never used it uh, as like a complete mis mixed martial artist. He always seemed to kind of just be like the kickboxing guy, wanted to keep it on the feet. Um, every which now is and crazy when you think about his wrestling background. I mean, but man. that's just an energy thing, like the amount of energy that it takes to wrestle that's to a lot. take guys down, especially when they're slippery, especially when he's not a submission guy. Yeah, I don't know if he has any submissions in his his record. I mean, he I'm just sure. smashes guys when he gets them on the ground. Yeah. But his wrestling was so elite, but yet you rarely saw it. But, like, when he knocked out Chris Weidman with that flying knee, like, that fucking dude could explode on you like no other. Man, uh, yeah, it's that. He's, yeah, I mean, that's a guy that's natural, though. Right, you want to say as a natural yeah, athlete, I like, think that's natural, how he's born into but it. I think maybe there was something going on in Cuba. I think they were doing some. Look, look at Karelin. We always talk about Karelin, but Karelin for the Soviet Union, they called him the experiment. That's literally what they called him. Mm. He was so freakish, and his parents were like normal size. They were, like, they were small folks. Mm. And he would like be walking with his parents, like with his hands on their shoulders. He was a giant. Yeah, he Just an immense over. human being. And here, yeah, here, they, here's a bowl of cereal, and here's some fucking <laughs> testosterone. There was no bowl of cereal. They gave him a fucking caribou liver for yeah. breakfast. That guy was, he was a freak of all freaks.
but I think there's something to that Soviet training program. And, you know, when you look at other communist countries, like particularly Cuba, there's no doubt about it. They did whatever they could to make their athletes the best they could. And it just stands to realize. To a certain extent. I mean, I think if you want to you want to have that peak performance, you want to have that peak human being from whatever mm-hmm. you're trying to, you know, put them in. I mean, you you can't naturally it's hard like yeah it's, yeah. it's very hard it's well, the hardest well you could get road. lucky you could get lucky and get a francis and ghana with like the best genetics ever or you can just start manipulating someone when they're very young yeah. if you get a young kid and you start giving them growth hormone and igf1 and all peptides and stuff when they're really little like you can yeah, get it depends f- on their diet right yeah. i mean like most of everything we eat is processed and Trash. That too. I'm sure they're giving them (laughs) optimal nutrition. I'm sure that they, I'm sure with that kind of a program, like a communist program with where everything is on the line. Like if you are a athlete for uh, a totalitarian dictatorship, like whether it's Cuba or Russia or China, whatever it is, they will do whatever they can to make their athletes the best. Like the idea of cheating, we saw it in the Sochi Olympics with that documentary Icarus. Have you seen that documentary? Mm-hmm. It's a great documentary by Brian Fogel about. Um, I've talked about this recently. I apologize to people who listen, but the uh, Brian Fogel, what he was going to do is he he did a, a bike race and he did a bike race natural, and he's a very good athlete, uh, endurance athlete. So he did this bike race natural, and then he went to this guy who is the head of the Soviet anti-doping program, and he said, uh, this is what I want to do. I want to do it natural one year, and then the next year, I want you to just juice me up to the tits, mm. and we're going to do a documentary and see how I do juiced versus natural. In the process of filming all this, it uh, it got released that the Sochi Olympics were rigged. And so what Russia was doing was they put a hole in the wall where the urine samples were, and they were swapping urine samples. So they're taking the dirty urine samples from their athletes, because it was in Russia. So they're taking the dirty urine samples from their athletes and swapping it out for clean urine samples. But they got caught because they found these micro scratches on these jars that were supposedly impossible to open. And that these like, impenetrable jars, they stored the urine in to make it secure. But then they did an analysis in the jar, and they said, like, somebody's been fucking with these jars. And so then they analyzed the urine, and then the whole house of cards came tumbling down while this guy was doing this documentary. And this guy, what was his name? Gregory Richenko? Is that his name? I think Richenkov. Richenkov? That gentleman, who was the head of the Soviet doping program, got in the witness protection program and then spilled the beans in the Soviet Union. He's hiding in America now. I mean, they arrested his family. They took away his family's money. Like they, they oh. fucked his whole family up. Like it's it, the whole the story is crazy. But he detailed everything that they do as far as their doping program, and they doped everybody. They doped everybody except figure skaters. Damn, that's the dude. Uh, Gregory Definitely not what I was imaging <laughs> or picturing <Yeah>. in my head. <laughs> He's hilarious. He's actually funny, but it's <laughs> it's an amazing documentary. I can't recommend Icarus enough, but it just shows how far these countries are willing to go in order to gain you know national superiority by having their athletes gold medal more than anybody. Power. It's the most addicting thing, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's also it's you know. It's national pride. There's a lot involved. And they're all assuming that everybody else is doing this too. Because everybody on some shit. Yeah. Like everybody's on some shit. For sure, if they can get away with it, they cheat. Pete, there's so much, especially when it comes to things like the Olympics. Because they'll never stop exploring, trying to find the easier route, you know? Exactly. Um, 
it's funny because a lot of people uh, have said shit to me, and I'm like, listen, when I came back after I broke my arm, I was big before I broke my arm, and then, but I was big in the wrong way. I was big in like a weightlifting way. When um, did you break your <clears> arm? Hmm. <throat> 2020 maybe and how'd you do it dustin stoltzfus i got matt returned in a fucking contender series fight dislocated mm. broke backwards and that's your right arm that's, that's my the, right the arm scar. so i had one surgery that's this scar uh six months later i joined my team marquez where sean's at uh and and all the philly guys and then i had to six months again had to get another surgery and another major surgery and same injury just yeah. re-injured so it? uh no so i still had a torn forearm and i still i had a whole bunch of bone growth behind so i broke the radial head in half uh which is what you rotate so i can rotate my hand right like this on my good arm but i can't go any further than this because it's pinned uh to this day in there. to this day yeah oh wow um and that's as straight as my arm goes so, oh wow, yeah. So, motherfuckers don't understand that this was I. I was given a thirty percent chance of being able to fight. You know, if I got the second surgery, thirty percent, thirty percent, because of the nerve damage and not like having full functionality. Because there's a lot of nerves in there, um, especially where I got surgery and how much damage and inflammation and whatnot was in there. Um, so they had to cut the capsule and whatnot. So, man, when I tell you like I'm gonna be hurting when I'm older, I'm gonna be hurting. I have pain every day and whatnot, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I broke my arm in some bullshit fluke accident. Um, you know, I did get Matt returned. I should have let go of the head. I was going to go for a guillotine, mm -hmm. and then he lifted me. I didn't expect it, right? Posted out, boom. Been that way a thousand times in practice, never right. been hurt. And, uh, yeah, ate me up, man. Ate me up. You know, they closed the ambulance doors, and, you know, you don't get to say shit to Dana White, and all you get is a bunch of nerds that text you and say, hey, man, at least you got a couple million views. You're famous. And, you know, I lost sponsorships, I was depressed, suicidal, all that shit, and uh, 20 years of my life, I think, at that point. Um, so you were really concerned that that was the end? Yeah, I mean, look, Joe, I started this at four and a half years old. You know, I don't, I don't know how much you know, um, but, you know, I started this at four and a half years old, and I haven't seen another path, and this was my A, and there was no B. So if A didn't work, that was it. So at four and a half, you knew you wanted to fight? No, eight years old, I knew I wanted to fight. Four and a half, I started jujitsu. Five years old, I did my first competition in Naga. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, eight years old, is, I started developing, like, a little bit of a confidence. I was so run down and abused that it, that was where my, my confidence started coming from. So I, I never had a dream of the belt, and I can say all these years, I've never had a dream of holding a belt, but I always had a dream of people chanting my name when I was walking out to a sold-out crowd. So that was always my dream, and I always, I've always wanted that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I wasn't a kid that hung out with kids, you know, I was homeschooled and, um, yeah, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of detail to uncover in there, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've known I wanted to do this all my life. And <laughs> when I tell you there was no plan B, bro, there was no plan B. So. When did you have your first MMA fight? How old were you? I was, uh, I think 20 years old, 20 years old at uh, 20, yeah, 20 years old. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, yeah, it is true. 20 years old. I think it was 2017 was my first fight um or 2016 one of those years and amateur or did amateur you go, yeah. so pa i'm pa boy at the mm -hmm. time um you have to have five amateurs before you could go pro oh really yeah. that's the, the rule yeah. interesting that was the rule when i was fighting um so you had to have is that five. still the rule uh, i'm not sure i think it is um you definitely have to have amateur experience to be considered to get your pro license what if you're like an amateur wrestler or something like that does I'm that translate sure. into it i don't think so I, don't, I think it's just that I think it's just the way that the PA commission was with Greg Sir back then. It's not a bad um, idea. So I went four and one as an amateur, um, and I felt so held back with the the bullshit shin guards, not being able to punch somebody in the face. 
Oh, that's how it is with amateurs. You yeah, can't you punch the face. Can't in the punch face. in the face. No elbowing, elbowing on the, the face. ground. Nope. No. So I couldn't wait to turn pro, man. I, I I felt so held back, and my kind of training, like I trained at Fight Factory, which was a gym that had Eddie Alvarez when he was 19 years old. I met Eddie before he even had his first fight. Oh wow! You know, so I've when I say I know, like a lot of these guys will say, "Oh, I know these people." I'm I'm the OG in the gym as the young guy because mm. I've been around for so long. So that's why when these these fucking clickbait turds come out and they say, oh, you know, he's fighting a guy with a lot of experience and Gerald Mearshart, he's got the most submission. I'm like, motherfucker, you're not doing anything that I have never seen. Now, there's a difference between watching on the TV and saying, ah, he doesn't do anything special and you get in there and you feel somebody's presence. You feel that energy. You feel their intention, you know? So I knew that motherfucker wasn't going to bang with me. I knew Abdul wasn't going to bang with me. That's why as soon as I cracked him, as soon as I let him feel me, like, yeah, motherfucker, like, go ahead. And, uh, you know, he didn't get that. He didn't get to get going. Mm. You, know, you know, I checked him immediately. Like, you're a powerhouse. You're an alpha. Well, so am I. Come take it. You know, so I fight with uh, a heavy heart in there. You know what I mean? You're trying to take my living from me. I'm still a poor kid. That's my mentality. You know what I mean? I'm nothing. And I'm trying to be something. You know what I mean? So... You better be ready to kill me, motherfuckers. Like, that's how, same thing with this guy, Jack, man. Like, nice guy, you better be ready to die in there or I'm, <laughs> I'm coming for you. Like, I don't want no decisions. You talk <laughs> about your abuse. Like, what, what exactly was the abuse? <laughs> I don't want to give the short version, right? You okay. know, this is a moment right now that I get to recognize that I'm in front of somebody who has, you've heard so many stories, so many crazy things. And, you know, my story is definitely not up there with the crazy things, right? But my story, I'm unique. I'm one of one. So my story is, um, you know, I started out, uh, the abuse started when I was a year old. Um, my parents both blame each other, you know, child services in and out of our, our lives. I'm one of five kids. I got four sisters, two older, two younger. And, uh, yeah, I started getting beat as a, as a one-year-old um, from what I was told is because I shit myself, right? It's what kids, infants do. And uh, so that's when it started. And um, Wow, you got beat for going to the bathroom? Shit in my diaper, yeah. <sighs> Uh, the story is I shit my diaper, reached in my diaper, wiped on the walls, and then I got beat for it. Um, neither parent owns up to it, but both parents have blamed each other. Um, just because of the physical physical abuse on, on my father's side, 100% has to be him. Um, my mom was not physically aggressive by nature, you know what I mean? She she definitely whooped my ass, you know, uh, a good amount, but it was never with the mean intentions, uh, you know, comparable to my father. It was more verbal on her end, but uh, but yeah, so it started then, and bro, since the time I've had memory, I remember getting my head stomped, getting beat, getting screamed at, slapped, uh, humiliated, just run down, told you were never going to be anything, and uh, you know, my sisters received, unfortunately received the, uh, the same treatment, and uh, yeah, so I mean, abuse has been something, and toxic, and I mean toxic, like when I want to say like breaking somebody down. I didn't have an ounce of self-esteem. I was my dad's puppet. I didn't know no life. Being homeschooled, you do school, right? That is he still around? Still living, yeah, still living. Um, I'm not sure where. I've parted ways with him, and uh, I don't want to talk to him. Next time I see him is probably, you know, yeah, when it's done. And uh, I don't hate him. You know what I mean? I don't hate him. But uh, I despise him as a human being as far as, you know, what he's given back to the world and, and the kind of person that he's accepted to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's still around. I just don't know where, and I don't really care where. So uh, I know my mom still lives at the house that I grew up in. And It's so hard to believe that some people are capable of becoming what they become. 
you know, and to do that to their child. You know what's fucked up about it the most is that it was almost better for me to have never known him than to know him and see how it went and lose him. You know what I mean? Because I love that man as a child. That was my idol. Nobody could beat him in the gym. Like that was, that's what I thought. And I never thought he was a liar, you know, and then right around 15 years old. And I definitely think I was behind, you know what I mean? Socially, um, just because of being homeschooled. So my dad wound up getting social security disability and he was a stay at home dad. You know what I mean? Collecting SSD and fucking doing nothing, but beating his kids and screaming and sitting basically just being uh, you know a child abuser to to all of us you know and, and <clears throat> never once has he ever taken accountability for the wrongs that he's done um and if he's tried to finagle it it's been to be like hey you were a bad kid oh. and it's like yo i, I want to know i want to know how i was a bad kid i didn't steal sure i lied as a kid out of fear because i was afraid to get my head stomped or get beat like a man you know i didn't get i didn't get a traditional ass whooping joe <laughs> like neither of my sisters either they got picked up by their necks picked up by their hair strangled um you know and uh there there's many there's many stories you know and as you know we have a documentary right yeah. and um I refrained from putting the details of specific stories because the the documentary is not about woe is me poor me it's about a i never through all of this gave up on the dream to get to the ufc even when i broke my arm and i thought i was doing i did everything right i didn't go out and party i didn't go out and do drugs i've never i've never smoked weed i've never done and i'm not saying weed's a drug but i've never smoked weed i've never smoked a cigarette i've never take popped a pill i've never done anything I didn't go out to strip clubs. I didn't go out and bring girls home from the bar. That's never been me. So, yeah, I mean. You were just always focused. I, I was obsessed with this. I was obsessed with this. And I was obsessed with this because I knew if I couldn't do this, I would have checked out. And that's that's what made me, you know, that's what made me, like, keep going, motherfucker. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I just kept beating down the door of people, like my coach that, you know, has come with me. I've known that man since I was 10 years old. You know, and he's seen me wear in the gym and nothing's changed. He could tell you that from, you know, the only thing that's changed is my maturity, the way I look at life, perspective. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was a it was a rough background and it only got worse as I got older. It's a horrible thing to hear. You know, as a parent, it's, it's terrifying to think that a parent, another parent could do that to their child. But we all know it's true. And we all know that it can do one of two things to someone. It could just ruin your life. Or it can give you this unstoppable fuel. And that's what it seems to have done with you. I would never wish that on anybody. But I often see people like you that are so fucking driven and so angry in there. And so effective because of that. Like so dangerous because of that. I, always, I often wonder, like, is it even possible to make a guy like you without that? I don't think so. I look at like Mike Tyson, same thing. I don't think so. And I, but I think that's where I have my appreciation for him. You know, I'll never discredit him. I would not be in the sport if it wasn't for him. He was the one that went to the gym. He's the one that introduced me and I will give respect where it's due, right? And that's the respect. Was he, he a deserves. fighter? Uh he so he grew up in Kensington, Philadelphia. I don't know how well you know Philadelphia. Shithole. Um, bad parents. Mom apparently was, you know, borderline i don't know if she was a prostitute or whatever but he was homeless from he was passed home to home he was always passed back and forth to his parents so he lived a much rougher life than me um and uh you know he got jumped all the time um back then it was you know very segregated type you know 
you don't come into this part of Philly and you don't cross this part of Philly. And so he would get jumped all the time. I think he was like a, a timid, like skinny, nerdy, malnutritioned uh, child growing up. So I know his dad, my grand, my grandpa, um, who I've met a handful of times, uh, was in the Vietnam War. But then when he came back, apparently my dad's story is that he used to sell drugs all the time and was always high and like like that's that's the story he painted to us so in my eyes like we never knew him really other than a handful of times we met him because they were bad people and he despised them and he he always held like the craziest anger towards his family like they all blackballed him he was the black sheep so yeah i mean he grew up rough too but uh yeah i mean he um he boxed apparently for a long time you know he used to tell everybody he was 115 and four he can't fucking find the guy's records anywhere 100 percent bullshit dude's a fucking storyteller but um he could box you know what i mean even if he didn't fight he could box he would do well against guys that were pro boxers or fight guys that were in the gym my dad was a, a tough dude he was good um but uh you know definitely always lied for his convenience for his story and uh yeah as he was learning jujitsu with a guy named Steve Hegg who wound up owning Fight Factory who taught me jiu-jitsu um, alongside with my dad. But that's how I got into it. So I owe him a thanks for the tools that he gave me for the house I have gone to build. Mm. That's how I see it. You know what I mean? I don't think he ever intended to give me these tools and me go and fucking build a house with it. And I think he despises me for it. I mean, he's one of the guys when I broke my arm, sends a message, face down, ass up, just how you like it. You'll never, I told you, bro, he said a lot of shit, man. He has said a lot of shit. And don't get me wrong. I've said a lot of shit back. Like we've, we've argued, you know what I mean? He can, he brings that special rage where I would, I would like lose my life or his life over it. You know what I mean? Like I have to separate myself from him. Um, Jesus Christ. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, this, there's no holds bar when it comes to that guy, the way he manipulates, the way he lies, the way he has, basically hurt every single person he has he has no true he has no long-lasting friendships in his life there's a reason for that you know yeah Uh, that's horrible yeah so not a good human being it's not not good but again i mean i hate to say it but in your line of work it's like a superpower it is a superpower you know what i mean i got i got that dark devil with me when i need him and uh i don't mind it you know what i mean i i can be a sweetheart i could be a good person i'm a giving person i give a lot back in the dark to my to my teammates you know uh, one of the kids is jose soto who uh, just by the way got surgery today hope you're doing well um i think he's going to like he's got one eye like visible like visibility and he's one of the toughest guys i've ever sparred and he's an amateur and how is it that, i wanted to ask you about this like you know uh Shara bullet yeah. One eye. That's why I'm saying it because I'm telling you right now, this kid will whoop that dude. How is Shara Bullet able to fight? I mean, how do you pass athletic commission standards? So I I don't know. So I think that from what I've heard, depend it's it. I think it depends on the commission and where you're fighting. Um, in PA, I know he has to have. I think, and I may be wrong, so somebody don't roast me for it. But I think you have to have. I think it's called a 2200. You have to. It's like it has to be some type of visibility. So you have to be able to see objects or yeah, an object, shapes, something. You have to be able to at least identify something out of that eye. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is the craziest way to fight when you already have lost one eye. Bro, he's bigger than me. The kid I'm talking about is bigger than me. He's bigger. He's bigger. He's like 225 right now, and he's in shape, abs cut. I'm telling you, I I can't wait for this kid's future. Um, But uh, but I but I train with a. But my point is, is like I give back to a lot of. I try to give back to a lot of my teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I didn't I didn't let the things that hardened me and made me upset become a piece of shit. I don't think I'm a piece of shit. I think I'm a good person. You know, I don't think I'm the best person. I'm not the nicest guy um, by a long shot, right? But I, I think it's this world is about what you get, you give back, you know, how you can. If you're not giving back in some way with success that you have, then I think you're a piece of shit. I don't care if you're a billionaire. You know, if, if you're not giving back and you're not trying to help the younger generation, that's right. already so fucked up. Especially the people around <laughs> you, especially your tribe. Yeah, I mean. I couldn't agree more. Um, the the, the one-eye thing, man, just, it just still really freaks me out. Like, shout out to Michael Bisping, one of the fucking toughest dudes yeah. to yeah. ever do it. Hey, he that did it in the dark. He scammed systems. He scammed the athletic commissions for 10 fights. For ten fights, that dude fought with one eye. But then look at the other. The look at the other part of it, right? Like if he goes out there and he's getting smoked and he's not competitive, like sure, pull his card and say, "Hey, you can't do this." But then you're gonna tell somebody that they can't they can't do what they've trained their whole life for yeah. because of something like that. Like that's not fair too. You know what I mean? Like, right? Well, you look at Shara Bullet. I mean, obviously, I mean, depth perception is the first thing that goes when you lose one eye. Yeah, it's, it helps. But Shara Bullet is like one of the most accurate and precision strikers. I mean, he's he's got some flaws in his game his takedown defense is terrible yeah he's got to like learn how to wrestle that man did not know how to get off his back which is crazy he's from Dagestan from a guy that's not a wrestler right yeah it's a problem it's a problem but yeah. also him on his, the feet's a fucking problem oh too. man guy that kicks that much <sighs> I don't want to fight that guy that dude's annoying I, he, I, it's not even it's like I hate that kind of style <laughs> that shit with <laughs> ir- like Jack's style irritates the fuck out of me Jack Della Maddalena? No, Jack uh, Hermanson. Hermanson. Dude's oh, annoying right, as shit. Right, right. I hate his style. Fucking bounces around and, like, he's just an awkward, weird, like, weird shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Bullet's not weird, but, you know, he's so he's yes. so fast and kicks and, man, I want to bang, not kick. Hermanson <laughs> in you is when? When is that? Uh, February 10th. Nice. Yeah, so, like, 25 days or some shit like that, but yeah. not too far out. I'm counting. That's, that's a very good fight for you. It's a very good fight for me. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think a lot of people will try to pull this experience bullshit again. And uh, he's definitely my toughest fight on paper, and I think he will be my toughest test. But uh, one thing's for sure, he better not let me get that one, because I got that one. So um, he's a dog, he's tough. But I think we know what what his style is. If you look at Jack, it's like Mm -hmm. you got to get the takedown, brother. Because if you stand and bang with me, I'm going to put you down. Yeah, You know what I mean? I'm not not playing for decisions. And... uh, you know, shit, it might come back to bite me, right? It might say it all confident. I might lose. It might happen. But I just don't think that that's, I don't think that's the next chapter for me. And, uh, yeah. There it is. Yeah. So you it's got, a fight night I'm at an ugly motherfucker Apex. on TV, man. Nah, you look great. That's nonsense. The, <laughs> yeah. the fucking Apex is the greatest place ever to see fights. I like it. Everybody's complaining that I keep fighting there, but I like it, man. I, I like hearing my shots. I like mm. hearing that. <clears throat> yeah, like, you hear I want to hear it. I want to. I want to. I want to hear him grunt when I hit him. I want to hear him wince. Like I want to see it. Like mm-hmm. I don't have any outside noise blocking that. Well, you can hear your coach. You can hear your corner. Yeah. You can hear everything. It's yeah. the to me the the like when we were doing the uh, COVID fights, when we were doing a lot of the fights from the Apex Center, including like world title fights, like Francis Ngannou when he beat Stipe, there was no crowd, mm. which was so crazy. But for me, as a, a commentator and as an audience member, I was like, God, how lucky am I that I'm here for this? That this is like, you know, the whole world's fucking shut down, and I'm, I get to be cage-side for this with nobody else here. It was a fortunate time, man. It was, it was a fortunate time to, I think, like, being your position, like you're saying, right? You know, be yes. able to be there. You've been around for so long, though, man. Like, you earned that, right? I mean, 
and you're you're a part of the UFC in a big big way. You're not just a commentator, you know what I mean? So you being a part of that is also historic too, you know. But being able to see it with a guy like that in person, I, that's why I was upset when John Jones, man, I was going to go to that fight. Yeah. Oh man, because he's on his way out. Uh, I love John Jones. I love John Jones dude's too. A, that dude is. I, I hate when everybody everybody so much sidesteps him. Because of the, the when whole, he tore that pec muscle, I was so bummed out. God damn, I wanted to see him versus Stipe. There's still hope, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe late seems, summer. It seems like that's what they want to do. It seems like that's the fight that they want to do. But he keeps vocalizing to yeah. uh, to Tom Aspinall, you know what I mean? And I feel like he already wrote, like, which we all kind of assumed, but I think he'll have that fight with Stipe if Stipe's mm-hmm. still hanging around. Um, and then, you know, kind of run off, run off into. Maybe, or they'll maybe he'll do Aspinall, depending upon. I mean, I don't think he has any interest to be. Honest. You don't think so? No. Why not, man? Look, she had, she what elbow, elbow surgery also? When did he have this? He said be, while he was having pec surgery because he had to recover for so long, he went ahead and got his elbow done too. Was this recently? Yeah, like I was. I, this I thought this was the video, but this was like eleven weeks. Wasn't ago. this was the day? Recent. This was the day out uh, right after, or a couple days out after it happened, I think. That video. Yeah, oh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll find it. it this is not recent, though. That punching Correct. thing is yeah, not yeah. recent. This was like two weeks ago, a week ago. I thought it was on his Instagram account, but I'll look it up real quick. The 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 thing is, like, John is what thirty six now. Is that how old he is? No, nah, I think he's. Uh, he's not. Th- I thought he was thirty eight. I don't know. I'm, I wonder. I wonder. One how old ago. is John? Thirties. Oh, I just had it right here. But here, so a week ago, he had. Elbow surgery to shave off bones. 36. Surgery. Yeah, 36. I thought he was a little bit older than that. Yeah. Uh, when you start getting surgeries, when shit starts falling off. Bro, that's me now. Yeah. I've, I've well, <laughs> that one injury for sure. <laughs> it's John bad. Jones said he had surgery to shave bone spurs in his left elbow. So mm. exactly that, right? So what I just told you about my pain in my elbow, mm-hmm. I have like six or seven of those in my elbow mm. right now. So imagine, and that's where all the around. nerves are. Yeah. Yeah, so, man, some days I got to... I'm in and they pain. can't go in there and scoop those out? Not before this fight. Uh, after the fight, you think? I'm definitely going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to mention Have it. Have you done any stem cells or anything for that? Uh, not, so I, I had a torn uh, labrum, and I got some stem cells to try and fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, honestly, it really agitated it where, you know, and then the fight got announced and everything. So this, this fight is sooner than I wanted it to be, uh, in a way. But you don't say no to something like this. Like, this, this is a good fight for me. Um, when I say good fight, I think that this is a fight that I'm very capable of winning at this point in time with the trajectory I'm on, with all the, you know, people call it hype, but I fucking earned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't hype. This is called I paid my dues and I was out for a year and eight fucking months and made a comeback, made my comeback fight with a broken left hand, still knocked that dude out, which was Derek Brunson's wrestling coach. Uh, came back, knocked out another guy. You know what I mean? So you had I had a broken it. left hand going into that I had a, fight. My, I, I broke my left hand, my left thumb in half, like right where the joint is, and I still went in there. And I remember my coach was like, "Yo, we got to bite down. We just got to do this, man. Like you do this, you're going back to the UFC." And I, it was the first time I ever worked with my my head coach, John Marquez. Um, and uh, how far out did you break your thumb? Uh, I think it was nine days. Oh God! Yeah, Damn. So, Jesus so bro, Christ. when they grabbed my hand, like the commission grabbed, like the medical tent, mm-hmm. and they grabbed my hand, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> but I wound up getting it. I took an XL uh, glove or double XL glove because, you know, my hands aren't that big. But I, bro, it was terrible. 
It was terrible. Did but, you find a way to tape it in some way? Yeah, I mean, we still taped it up like it was a fight, right? So I still had tons of pain, but the pressure stopped me from feeling like it was, like, floating around. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I actually threw it, like, maybe three, four times in that fight, <laughs> just out of, like, habit. And right. uh, But, yeah, I mean, first fight back, year and eight months, break your, break your left hand. I have the x-ray for it. Um, and then, uh, you know... Let alone the nerves, I had to come back. I'd never thrown my right hand in a real fight, and uh, man, it it was awful. And then three weeks later, I was playing basketball. I loved playing basketball, and fucking broke my ankle. And the UFC calls and says, "Hey, you want to fight on the contender series?" So when I say I've had injury after injury, and it gets it gets keeps going. What do you, do you think? Like maybe I shouldn't play basketball. Maybe I shouldn't do. Yeah, stuff so I don't play outside. no. Yeah. So, but you know, so yeah, you know. But here's the thing: I don't. I my my theory on life. It could be wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to cheat myself along the way to do the things that I still love. You know, like and, and if I have to stop, if I have to live so fucking careful, I'm gonna develop that habit to live like a fucking hermit crap. Right. And I, that's not me, man. I get on a motorcycle. I'm going 205 fucking miles. Oh, hour. That's, Joe, don't bro. do that. <laughs> no, but that's don't but but that's me, bro. That's just that's I'm a I thrill know, seeker. But you remember Diego Corrales? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Follow boxing. Diego, nah. Diego Corrales was like, he was involved. So the guy that's in, a paraplegic. No, he's dead now. Oh. He died in a motorcycle accident. Oh. Good but job, he, Joe. <laughs> he was a uh, he was a big boxer. He's famous for the one fight. Was it Jose Luis Castillo? Is that what it was? He had this fight with Jose Luis Castillo. It was like one of the greatest displays of guts because he was out, man. I mean, he was out. He was battered. His eyes were swollen. Watch this fight. He's so got Diego, Diego Corrales is in the white with the red stripes. Okay. And Jose Luis Castillo, who's also a very tough guy, is the guy in the red. And he, he rocks oh. him and he hurts him. I mean, Corrales looks like he's done. I mean, he looks like he's done. He gets hit with a perfect left hook. He gets dropped. And he gets up. I mean, this is like a, an Arturo Gotti type performance. Like, I mean, it was one of those fights where you just like, my God. He gets up. I mean, he is fucked. He's fucked. And Castillo catches him again. I mean, it looks like the fight's over. Mm. Some some referees maybe even would stop it right there. You know? I mean, some referees, you see you go down again like that. They're waving yeah. that off, right? Yeah. A lot of referees. And then I would say good call, good stoppage. Yeah. The guy's done, right? Yeah. Watch this. I mean, Corrales' left eye is completely swollen shut. Can't see shit. Gets dropped twice. Looks like he could barely stand. He's talking to the referee. He's like, don't stop this. Don't stop this. I'm good. So he puts his mouthpiece back in. They're giving him some time here, which is nice. Gets back out in there. I mean, he's he's, he's still fucked, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not recovered. He looks bad. His legs, his legs don't look. And Castillo's a very big puncher. Yeah, he looks like he's with it. Mm. And he gets clipped again. I mean, this is, a, this is like an all-time classic performance. Oh, he's got him. I mean, this is really like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gotti. Castillo punch himself. And out. then all of a sudden, all of a sudden he comes back. Hmm. I mean, this is like from the verge of defeat. And he catches him with the left hook. 
Yeah, I mean, Steelers done. See that look at his face. But doubt. it's crazy uh, if you think about how done Corrales was. And then the referee stops it right yeah, there. Yeah, he stops. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy comeback. Well, Diego was a wild fella. And yeah, it's uh, crazy. he died on a motorcycle. So yeah, so please, I've, I've, I've heard some so many so many bad stories, um, but like you won't you don't get into a car. And I'm gonna give you my my okay. my my thought, right? You won't get into your car, you know, the car we talked about, the Camaro. Yeah, you won't get in that and be like, man, I could die driving this. Now you know the dangers of it. Yeah, you know how fast it is and whatnot, but you'll never you'll never like I won't I could die going in this cage. Right. I could get kicked. I could have one eye. I could be paraplegic. I could have my face broken, you know, and I get it. You know what I mean? So I just, I don't do things thinking that I'm going to fail. It's just, it's not in my brain. Like I, I won't, I don't know. I just won't do that because I'm not I, worried about you. I'll I'm get worried scared. about the variabilities of the other people on the road. The people texting I can't control. And yeah. Driving yeah, yeah. And drunk and yeah. all that nonsense. Well, it makes you feel better. I don't have one right now. Good. And uh, nice. I got rid of it. So I live, <laughs> I live in a condo. So I got rid of it because I was going to put it in the house and I was like, oh, my landlord wouldn't like that. So I was like, you're going to ride the bike right into the house. I was going to sit in the living room, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't do it. So I got rid of it. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a thrill seeker, man. I love cars. Well, you uh, tell me about your Evo. Yeah, I got that Evo 8, baby. Wide body. Yeah? Yeah, big turbo. You got a picture of it? Yeah, I do. I, dude, it's it's nice. Send it to Jamie. It's, uh, you get an airdrop it to him. That, that's a fucking great yeah, car. All right, cool, because I got my tag Those are on great cars. So you built that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, it had a 4G64, and now it's, I'm going uh, uh, 4G63. So, um I'll send you two pictures so that you can see the front and the back. For people who don't know, explain what that car is. So that car is an all-wheel drive 2006 Mitsubishi Evo. Um, it's a wild little car, man. Super light, crazy handling. Did I not save your number, Jamie? I'm going to send it to you, Joe. You okay, it. send it to me. And Does the airdrop work? Can you see Jamie on the airdrop? Right, let me see. Yeah, one second. I'm looking through your Instagram, too. You had other awesome cars on there, but not the Evo. Jamie's there he is. MacBook Pro? Yep. Cool. Got it. Got it. Yeah, so my that's been my therapy, right? So I've always wanted to be in the cars. My neighbor when I was young, um, you know, the, uh, his name was Henry Papiano. Good dude. Like honestly, he I, I love him because we don't talk all the time and I haven't talked to him in years, but yeah, that's, that's my baby. That's man. a wild little car, so dude. It was built, the body and the paint, that's an actual P1 McLaren paint job. It's oh, the wow. real actual paint of it. Um, and obviously, it's got the Voltex on there, the wheels. So I bought the car built as is with a 4G64 in it, but now it has a 4G63. Um, that's How many horsepower built. does that thing have? Uh, that setup was the 4G64 block, so that made uh, estimated, from what I was told from who I bought it from, uh, that it made 808. Yeah, it's got a full roll cage. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, that car's got to weigh two thousand pounds. Now, man, let me tell you. So, what does it weigh? It, it's it's like four. It's like almost four thousand pounds. Really? Is that heavy? Yeah, I think it's thirty eight to forty one hundred pounds, something like that. Dude, that is yeah. You like my tag <laughs> for body bags? We got JP bags, baby. <laughs> um, so cars, man. I, I smile all day. I could be around cars all day. It's definitely something that's like a therapy for me. It's how I found like. I don't know, man. I love it. I love it. 808 horsepower is It's nuts. the most agile car. So I've driven the Lamborghini Aventador, which was a dream car of mine. Thanks to Royalty Exotics in Vegas. They always hook me up every <laughs> fight. Um, yeah. 
Man, they're going down memory lane. Yeah, I was trying to find your car. I figured you would have. That's a wild yeah. car, man. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, that was the first Corvette I ever bought. It was a C5 Z06. Stock as hell. Oh, those are fun cars, though. It was a turd. But they're fun, though. Yeah. They're kind of plasticky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what? Sucks. I have to say, my dream car was a, a C6 Z06. I wound up getting one. Um, and then I didn't like the interior compared to that one. Right. Because I like the leather. I like the old yeah. look. I don't like the plastic look Cheap. of a lot yeah. of modern cars. But, well, uh, Corvette nailed it with the new interior. The new interior is perfect. Yeah. The new so the new interior is cool, but I hate the C8 look because they took away from the traditional long snout, you know, rear wheel drive. Like now right. it's a mid engine, short snout. Like I, I'm not a fan of it and I can't fit in it very well. Right. So I don't sense. like it. That's why I will never buy a Lamborghini. I'll never buy a Ferrari. I won't buy a Porsche. Them. I don't fit in it. And I don't want, I think Porsche is ugly. But that's just Really? Me. Yeah, How I'm dare not, you. I know. Yo, I will say driving How a GT3 is amazing you. though. But the Evo, man, I've never driven a car that fun in my life. It's wild what you can do with some of those Japanese cars, like with some of the things that people do to GTRs. Yeah. Like they have GTRs that are like two thousand horsepower. Yeah, which it's is insane. Just Call them Godzillas. Fucking insane. Yeah. Have you ever been to a drag strip? Yes. Yeah? Yes. You've raced? No, I've never never driven a car on a drag strip. But now, I've would been. you? No. I'm not interested in doing that. No? I've seen too many of them go like this. Wee! Bang! Oh, like float up in the air? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's uh, scary. I think you're making a little bit more than 1,000 horsepower, though, doing that. Oh, to go up in the air like yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you probably, probably got they probably got no weight in that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not gutting a car. I don't want to. I, I saw to... a 67 Corvette recently do that. Uh, on YouTube or Instagram or something like that, just took to the air. <clears throat> just the guy was just and then up in the air. See, I'll get out of it. I'm not, I'm not that ballsy. Like if I start feeling like I'm lifting, I'm out. We saw it. Lose Yeah, that's a scary proposition when you're going that fast in a straight line. Your car just catches it. What's air. the fastest you've been in a car? On a racetrack? Yeah, I think I was 178, 179. Pump those numbers up, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Look at that thing catching air. Yeah, there Dude. it goes. Look at that guy. That yeah, guy's yeah, launching yeah. through the fucking air. That son. guy said, fuck it, full send. Hey, yeah. what a great re. Wow, look wow. at that. Wow. He returned. Nuts, though. That's crazy. But yeah, he was that fully. That dude did in some good air. shit in his life to not die there. Yeah, right? He was fully in the air. <laughs> Bro, I'd be so mad. I'd be so I upset. Like car my car's messed up now. Such a beautiful car. I've been watching uh, Car Masters on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've if you no, ever I watched, watched it. it, bro. No. It's like they take like rust buckets, pieces of shit, and like everybody would write off. Uh, and you know they do shit like Zephyrs. Uh, they put a three eighty three stroker motor in a, a Tesla. Oh wow. Um, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love watching that stuff. That's like what I watch before I go to bed. Yeah, but, I love cars. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, it's going to be a sad day when there's no cars because I, I feel like that's coming. I feel like they're trying the World Economic Forum and all these fucking psychos are trying I'm to make I'm it so I, that I no one Tesla. owns a car. And Teslas are great, man. No, I mean, I'm like one? I hate them as far. Yeah, like I've driven. Don't like it. I don't like the automatic braking. I don't like all the like gadgets. Like the it's, mm -hmm. it's like a big ass iPad. It's not, it is. I want like a knob to turn. Yeah, but I'm also American Muscle, like old school. I'm also yeah. import too, but. No, obviously with the Evo, but I, I do love muscle cars. If I had to choose like one car that gives me the most joy, it's old muscle cars. Do you have a particular car? Not really. I like them You don't all. have a favorite out of everything no. you got? You don't have a specific? No, I have a 70 Chevelle that I fucking love. Yeah. It's so raw. It's, just, it's a 454, and it just, it's pumped up. It's got like 650 horsepower. It just It's a perfect balance, big-ass 
fat tires. Yeah. And it's a roadster shop car too, so it handles and brakes real well. But Good. it's just there's something so about that's those exactly, cars. That's exactly what my neighbor had. He had a Chevelle, uh, and that's what started it for me. I remember being maybe six, seven years old, and we were poor, man. My parents combined never made more than thirty thousand in a household of seven combined. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I remember him ripping down. He had an orange one. He did the motor Ooh. himself, and he would rip down. As soon as he put me, you know what? That, I think that's what got me hooked on this adrenaline shit. He took me for a ride one time. I'm like, my dad's a deadbeat, bro. I'll never get to do this. So I was like, I want the neighbor to be my dad. But he took me for a ride first time. I went over 100. And I was like, I was just remember being like, oh, my God, dude, so cool. Like, <laughs> so. And it's the sound, the feel of those yeah. things, too. When I was, uh, I think I was like 16, a buddy of mine picked me up uh, in his friend's car. And his friend, uh, they, they were, you know, just pick me up. We're going to go somewhere. And his friend had a 70 Chevelle, and it was perfect. It was just cherry. It was a black with white stripes, the tuxedo one, which is what I have. And I remember thinking at 16 years, how can this guy own this? Mm. How is it possible that a person could own this perfect car? I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine it. Do you remember this, how old you were? I think I was 16. Yeah. I was in high school, for sure. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> he ran out of gas and coasted. He ran out of gas at the perfect sp- time and coasted right into the gas, gas station. station. <laughs> I mean, it was like, this guy's the coolest guy that's ever lived. Yeah. He ran out of gas. He's got the perfect car. He coasted into this gas station. And I here's, just remember Here's what I like about the, 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 the car people, the car world. Because if you're a car guy, somewhere along the line... I mean, especially if you're building your own cars, you're blue collar, right? Like, they could teach you shit. You know, I have these nerds today. That you, they're calling triple A or, I don't know, fucking double A. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> they can't even right. change a tire. Right. They don't know. That, they, where's the oil go? It's right. like, bro, you call yourself a man, but you can't change a tire. You can't change oil. Like, you don't know what to do if the car starts. Like, you, don't, you don't know anything. You're useless. Like, that is the just, thing with modern cars. You open them up and it's a computer. There's just so yeah. much going on in there, and you know, there's an ECU that's powering yeah. everything, and that has to be not unless you got a standalone. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that's that's actually the issue. I think I'm going to run into with this new build on the Evo. I think I'm going to yeah. have to get like a standalone and get it get it tuned there. You know, get get like a Motec or something like mm-hmm. that, and because there's only so much you could do with a stock ECU. You know what I right. mean? Like safety fails and shit like mm-hmm. that. I'm sure they probably have it on some of your cars, but you got to have your safety fails so you don't blow it up again. But you know Gordon Ryan? Yes. Gordon Ryan is uh, now obsessed with Vipers. He's trying to get me to buy one of these Calvo Dude, Vipers. That's my dream car. Do- 2017 <laughs> Dodge Viper ACR. You seen the fucking Pennzoil commercial? Yes. Bro, I like borderline yes. cry watching that. I'm like, find mm. that commercial. Man. That, that car is a monster. But there's a company, uh, it's Calvo, right? It's Calvo Autosports. Yeah, it's got it's got to be. Yeah. There I there's there's one of the they're you're around the country. Well, the there's Calvo, one right? there's one company that's in town that uh, jacks them up to like two thousand horsepower. <clears throat> oh man, dude, Pennzoil. this shit makes Pennzoil me like films cry. I can't wait. One day, mark the my last words. Viper. <laughs> it's absolutely an amazing car. It's just the sound. Uh, Look no. at the way that thing looks. God, and that hood. The hood with the vents in it. It's that wing too, though. Everything. Everything. Remember that's the TV show where they changed the Viper changed. No. no. It was like 1995. I thought it was real. It changed from the red convertible to the yellow hardtop. No. <laughs> you thought it was real? How old were you? Damn, I don't fucking know. Look at that thing, fucking man. thing. And that's, how I, that's how I drive, too. <laughs> I bet. 
Look at that fucking thing. I'm just thing. not as good as that guy. And you can't get that bitch in an automatic. It doesn't exist. You don't- that fucking automatic. You don't get a yeah. fast car in automatic, man. Not that one. <laughs> not that one. Look at that motherfucker. That is mm. a goddamn monster. That is a American monster right there. Woo! It's got that supercar sound, sound but... That V12. Mm. Good lord. Is it V10? I think it's a V10. V10. Yeah. Look at that fuck. Look at the fire coming out of the sides. Whoever they hired to do this stuff. Ooh. That's beautiful, man. Whoever drove that knows how to fucking drive. What a car. Ugh. If you don't get excited by this move, bro, my heart else. starts racing watching it. <laughs> yeah, you you need to go to another country. Bro, I get more adrenaline from driving like that than fighting. Look at that fucking thing. Good lord. Hmm. Good lord. God, that thing is amazing. Dodge will hook it up, dude. You need to have me on your team. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dodge. I have a Ram. I have a TRX that I got from John Hennessy. Do you it's got like a that? Thousand horsepower. Do you like a truck that fast? Fuck yeah! I love that one. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, don't I say that, that out loud. Sean Brady would be upset with a slow ass Ford Raptor. <laughs> oh, those are great too. No, they're good. He's got a Raptors nice one. Raptors are great. The He's new got a one, nice one. The Raptor R, the V8 one, is insane. And Hennessy's yeah. doing that too. He's taking that up to a thousand horsepower. The Raptor R twin turbo? No, it must be. It's either supercharged or twin turbo. I, don't I think, know. Well, I mean, regular Raptors are usually turboed. So the I regular Raptors are turbo super. six, and this is—I think it has the same engine as the GT500. I think that's the idea behind it, because it's 700 stock from the factory, and then Hennessy takes it and he jacks Ooh. it up. So I'm 99% sure it's supercharged. You don't remember this TV show? No, no, I never saw this. You thought this was real, Jamie? I was ten. <laughs> I've never heard of a Viper in my life. It just changes the color. Did you believe in Santa as a kid? He did until he was 12. Damn! <laughs> Viper. Yeah, that see, was a there, TV show? Bro, yeah, growing up, like, be <laughs> growing up, we didn't get the joy. There was no fucking Santa. There was no, yeah. like, hey, motherfucker, we ain't got money. You're not getting no gifts. Like, we, right. we used to have the church, like, donate us, like, uh, gifts and whatnot, because I grew up Christian and whatnot. <laughs> Well, there was it, no Santa. It's horrible for you as a child, but I firmly believe that being poor as a kid is also a supercharger. It's a, it's like a superpower. There's something about it. You're grateful. You, you, you're grateful, and you can't replace that. You can't if you have someone that grows up wealthy, and then they just you, they become successful in life. They're never gonna have that same gear as a person who grows up poor. There's something about growing up poor. It sucks. It gives you a it gives you a, a burning desire for the things that you want, and, yeah. and you're, you you want to figure it out. I mean, these these kids that are born into money, <clears throat> it's actually. Someone we both know where it's like sometimes and, and and even people like back home, it's like I know people that have kids where it's like they don't know how to like fit in because right. status and mm -hmm. money and, yeah, and yeah, shit yeah. like that. So that could be damaging for a kid, you know, and yeah. it's 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 good to have them in sports. It's good to have them in school, uh, you know, curriculums like a, uh, after school activities. And uh, I always tell everybody that's like got a boy if he's got an attitude problem, like put that motherfucker in wrestling, man. Hundred percent. Wrestling is the best thing for a troubled 100%, kid. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Because there's no easy wrestling. No, nah, man. There's but no you have to you have to show respect to your yep. coaches. You have to show up on time. You have to you pay if you you're late. You get broken down. Too. You get broken down. And it's good. That's you know? the thing. The, they're getting the broken down, and then the kind of status you get from that. You really feel that. That's earned status. It's yeah. a different status. It's a team score, yep. individual 
mm-hmm. you know, grading. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's cool, man. At wrestling, like my life got real tough once I got to, like once I left home. So I, my parents divorced at 15. Like I testified I never wanted to see my mom again. And then oh, I, I left Christ. with my dad. Yeah. So, the, you know, the other, the other branch of that story is you got the abuse from at least my earliest memory of like four and a half, five years old. And then till 15 years old, then we leave. I go to PA with my dad because my mom basically hated my guts. I was a, it was like, it was such a divided family. It was the girls and my mom that we lived like the farm life. Like I grew up a farm boy and, uh, against like my dad and the fighter, right? Like, like I was a puppet and, uh, you know, I just mimicked everything that he said, but you know, um, I chose my dad because I didn't want to lose wrestling or, or jujitsu or, or right. boxing and everything. But then the when I got up, giving you meaning. but then when I got up to PA, he had already had a girl he was laid up in that it was like, that's all that mattered to him. And then she worked. He doesn't work. You know what I mean? So he found somebody to prey on, to manipulate, to do his thing. And then oh. it was like, I don't need my kid no more. After I went to court and like, oh, you know, geez. I didn't understand the consequences of testifying, testifying in court against your mom and being dragged to court out of school and, and that humiliation. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't talk to my, my mom and my sisters for years and we, we don't talk currently. We haven't talked since before I I got in the UFC and we haven't talked since before I broke my arm Wow! because I knocked my sister's boyfriend out for being a meth head. Oh Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it is what it is. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, once I moved up to PA, I got, that was the worst, like that short span from. 15 to like 18 was like man like i was ready to, i was out so where were you staying during that time so i stayed in media pa i lived in uh i lived in it's it's pennsylvania but it's like 25 minutes outside of uh philadelphia so it's like the suburb city um honestly it's like a bougie it's not bougie but it's like a towny nice town mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everything was new to me. I came from a school of 330 kids. I got into high school. I was in a school of like 1,600 kids across four grades. But they were all like preppy fuckers. Like the kids down in South Jersey where I grew up, they were, they were all fighting each other, like beating each other up, jumping each other after school. Up here, everybody would talk shit and nobody would fight. So it was like a weird, mm-hmm. it was a weird thing for me to adjust. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a phone like until I started getting a job. And yeah, man, it, it was weird. It was really weird. I, uh, I lived in a two-bedroom apartment, um, and my dad, his girl at the time, uh, which he's married to now, um, and her two daughters, we all lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Oof. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was just like a bunch, it was, it was a terrible living situation, and then I, the beatings, man, I swear to God, he used to beat me up just to prove that he could beat me. Mm. You know, and show his girl that he was tough and he, you know, like he, nobody could fuck with him type of deal. And it was just like, man, so it got real dark, man, and started like, stomping me, breaking my, like broke my teeth. Um, I had two, two crowns, you know, because of him, because he breaking my teeth. And I would, I would curl up. Like he would punch me like a grown man, but I would curl up. He would throw uppercuts. Like that's how intent this guy was on getting me. And um, <clears throat> the last fight we had, it was over a fucking game called Uncharted 3. <laughs> and it was... We were playing co-op, but because I would get more kills than him, this is the kind of shit he would rage at. He so, and mind you, throughout all these years, right? He's on SSD. The reason being, he had a car accident. He was an oil truck driver. Uh, I I forget the story of who blew the light, but when he was going through the light, he got T-boned, or he T-boned somebody, blew out his back, had to get surgery. Apparently, it failed. Whenever he wanted to jump up and whoop your ass, though, dude wasn't crippled no more. 
Mm. So it's crazy, you know, and he would go box 15 rounds, but throughout 2004 all the way until I was 15 years old and and then some this man was on narcotics all the time he was on Vicodin Percocet Oxy and uh, he was he definitely was addicted there was never a time that I didn't see it the dude used to have like 60 fucking bottles of it no. and um, he would he would take medicine and then he would drink two yinglings and I think when I look back I'm like man like that shit will make a motherfucker angry and uh yeah, I mean, it just got worse as I got older, but I remember the last fight that we had, it was, you know, I used to, I, I remember I used to look at him and be crying and say, you know, like, how come you don't love me? Like, what, I got this empty hole in my chest because I didn't understand emotion, so I'd, I'd, like, try to plead with him, like, yo, like, something's wrong with me. I got something. I got a hole. I got, like, I got a hole in my heart, like, or my chest. I don't know how to, I don't even know how to explain it. And, uh, you know, the things he would say in rebuttal would be, like, kill, fucking kill yourself. Your feelings don't matter. Shut the fuck up. When I say jump, you say how high. Like it was, there was no remorse for anything he did, and I think that's why I despise him. Um, you know, the dude hurt me. Uh, he hurt me for a lot of years that I had to repair, um, and even then, I still carry over some bad, bad attitude problems. And uh, you know, the dude fucking, it got to the point where it was like either I'm gonna kill myself or I'm gonna kill him, and. Finally, he beat me half to death the one day. I mean, beat me half to death. And uh, I packed a bag of clothes, and he came out. He pulled a fucking knife on me, said he was going to kill me with it. I shoved him, ran out the fucking door, never went back. Jesus Never Christ. went back. But How old were you then? 16. I was just turning. I was, I, I, I was either 16 and the week after 17. I don't remember. Um, but I was, it, I was within two weeks of turning 17 when I left. Um, or I just turned 17 and then left. So... Uh, it was in the month of September. God damn. And yeah, so I left, slept in the park for a couple nights, and uh, then I wound up standing up for uh, a kid, uh, a black kid that was getting called racial slurs, and that was my first friend I had made, and uh, yeah, I mean, he wound up having, uh, he definitely was on the spectrum. Like, he he wasn't the smartest kid. Um, unfortunately, like, he, he had some things that uh, people would pick on him for, um, like being overweight and, and say, he would say some weird stuff and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, he was the first fen friend that I developed and, um, his brother was in juvie for arson, trying to light somebody's house on fire and he was adopted by a white man. So, but the house that they lived in, bro, it was like the most disgusting living environment you could fucking think of. <laughs> cat piss infested hoarder of comics that were all destroyed from cat piss, mm -hmm. um, like every part of the house would have been sticky like your shoes would stick to the fucking floor um, and there was shit everywhere the smell was like a pneumonia um, oh. maggots in the sink because he refused for about four years to fix the garbage disposal that's how long it sat there broken oh. live wire on the overhead of the oven so I lived in there um, and I wind up with I used to run papers to the courthouse and make like 75 bucks a week So every time I would make a little bit of money and his dad would give me some money sometimes to like try and help uh, Like straighten up the house and I would buy bleach and fucking bleach shit and try to clean and bro It was disgusting like you could wash your clothes six fucking times and it would still smell like cat piss in the morning. And it was a very embarrassing very humbling Way to live and I lived off inst like instant food like microwave food for the next two years all my wrestling high school years and the next two years that I was there everything was either donated food from my wrestling coach um Will Harmon who fucking man that 
that was my saving grace when I went to that school. You know, I don't want to miss that part. Like, that's important to me. That man is the whole reason I'm in the UFC now. Wow. So, um, God damn, dude. Those were the living conditions, man. Like, I mean, I mean, fucking, and he, my wrestling coach would come to the house, you know, and then I had truancy officers coming after me because I missed so much school. Um, uh, it was either DIFUS or some child services at a certain point that was like, who's taking care of you? Who's your caregiver? And, you know, I had a nasty response for him and nothing kind of came of it. But it was like, do I look like I'm fucking unhealthy? I remember slamming the door in the, the, the woman's face because I thought they were going to try and take me from the house. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, man, it was shitty times. And, uh, you know, life beats you up in ways that you're not prepared for and doesn't change. No matter how much money you make, no matter... You're here, you're here. There's always going to be a problem. It's just how you roll with it. So, Well, for sure, but having been through the problems that you've been through, I guarantee you, you know how to navigate problems better than most people. I voice it a lot, you know? People always think I'm bitching. <laughs> but I just, I'm a bro, and I am. Sometimes I bitch, you know, because that's my way of coping. I'll put it out there so it's not stuck inside. And that's something that's worked for me. You know, I, I say a lot of things that I feel... And uh, as long as I get it out, I'm happy, you know what I mean? Uh, or any, at least I'm settled. I don't have that, like, anger, like, waiting to explode, you know? That's Did the worst. Did you ever think of where you would be if it wasn't for martial arts in that same I would kill situation? myself. I would kill myself, 100%. I, I struggled even when I had it, you know? And, and that's the... It's one of that's the only the, things that gets people out. Yeah. I just, I just didn't see a life for me, man. I was so stupid. And when I say stupid, like, the whole time that my dad's a stay-at-home dad, and, and I want to give credit to my mother, too. You know, my mother, I never really felt like loved me that much. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But uh, my mom worked her ass off, and that's where I get my work ethic. That woman held two jobs. She did what she could to provide. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't a bum. She, was, she tried. And she did the best she could with a dude like that. You know what I mean? She was... She never had another man, still hasn't had another man to this day. She was married to him for 20 years. They had five blood kids. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I owe my mom respect for that because she's a hard-working woman. And it uh, didn't matter if she, she used to work at ShopRite, Home Depot. Those were her two jobs. And then CNA, and, you know, she, she did what she could, you know. So uh, I respect her for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, fuck, man. That dude was not teaching us homeschool is my point for years. You were afraid to ask him to fucking give you a spelling bee <laughs> because he was sitting at the fucking computer playing games. So if you did it, what the fuck do you want? What the fuck are you bothering me? Like, it was always a huge like explosion. So you're, you're a kid and you know from getting beat by this person, it's like, I don't want to make him mad. He might fucking slap me. He might hit me. He might do something. So all of us were scared. We didn't fucking learn anything. I tested again in public school, motherfucker, they held me back. I was dumb as shit. <laughs> like, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so my point is, making light of something, you know, dark, you know, but then coming back to the dark side, man, if, if I didn't have MMA, I don't, I don't think I would be successful. Um, I don't think I would have been strong enough. I don't think I would have had confidence. And uh, I think life would have broke me, man. I think I would have I taken, taken, you know, the easy way out. You're in a great position now, though, man. You know, I know you've gone through hell, but it's, uh, I really do think that it's prepared you in a way that nothing else does. 
you know, just for the ability to overcome adversity, the ability to deal with things. And again, that the superpower of that horrible childhood. It sounds like a terrible thing. I would never wish it on anyone. But when I know that someone has been through that and then you see them succeeding, like that's a special kind of person. That's a person that's got some extra gears. Yeah, you're right. Like, but you know who taught me that? The people I reached out to. I was I was so broken, but I never stopped asking questions. Like Sammy Orpiza. No, he was someone I always looked up to. He's thirteen three. He fought in Bellator. Like you know, he wound up retiring because he had kids and he was working two jobs. And it just didn't like it wasn't something he wanted anymore. You know, right? Mm-hmm. But he was someone I always idolized. Eddie Alvarez was someone I always idolized. I still talk to him today. You know, like I, I take care. He's awesome. But he would. I would always see him go to the gym, go home. He didn't bullshit. He didn't go out and clubbing. He didn't do all the party shit. Um, I'm sure he did at a time, right? Like, you know, but you know when he was with Jamie, he started having kids. I didn't see him, you know, and I didn't know him terribly well. I knew him in the gym really well. I didn't know him personally outside of the gym. You know, that's where I always saw him. But, um, yeah, I had a lot of good examples, right? And then, man, as soon as I went to high school, I met Will Harmon, who that guy housed me for four years because after I left that place, I had, bro, <laughs> this I'm gonna, I don't care if this is ratchet, right? You want to talk about trash. I had a friend. And I had a girlfriend, right? Ter- worst girl I ever met in my life. Um, leave it at that. Okay. I never known somebody. <laughs> so I moved out of this place that was basically a shithole. I started working at Verizon. It was my first job, and I said, "Hey, either I'm going in the military because I don't know what the fuck I'm going to be with my life, or I'm going to fight. If I get this job, I'm going to fight." I interviewed somehow. I must have been a good talker. Fucking got an interview job. No job experience. Fucking idiot. Somehow I landed it. Got a job, started working, wound up moving out, moved into a condo across the street from my high school wrestling coach, who, if you've seen the documentary, is super impactful on my life. So I move across. Then I moved from there after a year. I moved to another place. Was only there for a short period of time. The whole relationships wound up falling apart. I was trying to fight while knowing somebody that I thought was a best friend had fucked around with my girl while he was engaged to his girl. And that was my fucking living situation. And... I was so, you know, eager to have a best friend that the motherfucker was never a best friend, right? And it was like, man, you got, I got, the heartbreak that I got every fucking turn, and this was two weeks before I had one of the biggest fights that really put me on a trajectory, like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill everybody I'm fighting. And, um, (laughs) so that happened two weeks before then that was when I broke it off with my dad. He came over and he got in my face one time. And then it was the only time I ever, I never put my hands on him. I never fought back. I never even put my hands on him to this day. And, uh, but I, it was one of those times where you, you know how when you, I don't know if you've ever had this moment where somebody gets in your face and you're a kid and you have the chin quiver and you're like fucking nervous. And it's like, it's almost like you're, you're, you're trapped in fear, man. He said some shit about putting a bullet in my head. He said he was going to come back and put a bullet in my head. <laughs> I was like, yo, motherfucker, before you get to that car, I was like, I'm going to bury you. Like, that's it. Like, I'll take out every fucking part of my angry being to destroy you. You will not make it to your car. Like, that's it. You're done. Like, you die. And uh, I think it was the first time, like, that motherfucker knew. Like, he always knew I was better. Like, 16 years old, I could submit him. He was a brown belt in jujitsu, but I could beat him. And I think that started to intimidate him. And I think that's why the the beatings got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I think he was scared that I was going to come, like, rise up against him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that was the last time. And, yeah, I mean, 
shit, man. So I've just had like betrayal, 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 betrayal. But I haven't lost faith in people. You know, I met a couple of really good ones that changed my life and you never let them the go. The horrible thing about having horrible people in your life is it can ruin your faith in people. But nah, the one man. thing that it does do, it makes you really appreciate good people. Yeah. If you can, if you can get past it, you could real like, you don't appreciate sunshine unless you experience a lot of rain. You you have to you have to feel cold to appreciate the warmth. So you get spoiled otherwise. So that's exactly what I had to explain to somebody <laughs> the other day. They're like, "Why do you live where you live? Why do you train where you train?" I'm like, "Man, you know what it's like to go to the hood where our gym is. So our gym's in the hood. It's on a fourth floor building. It's like a like a warehouse type shit. It's actually a pretty cool building." Yeah, Sean was explaining it to me. Yeah, and uh, like we're nothing fancy, man. Like John, John. <laughs> John doesn't like John Marquez is my head boxing coach, um, and then Jonathan Webb is my jujitsu coach, and Jonathan Webb's is in Jersey, and John Marquez is in Philadelphia in the hood. Like, man, we it's we're not a fancy facility. We have a fucking square cage. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, we don't have tons of money, and we're in a shitty area. But John does it to to help. He does it to promote, like all these other gyms, all these other puppy mill fucking gyms that want to brag about this and that. And they got nice state of the art shit. We only got no state. We got some hand me down fucking weights, and we're we're a grind, man. But we work fucking hard, and I like that. I like being in the trenches so that when I come out, I appreciate it. When I go home, I appreciate where I live. You know, I don't live in the best place, but it's like I live in a place that I feel safe in, and for. Many a years until my wrestling coach took me in for four years, I was not safe. I wasn't, I bro, I hadn't like fucking pissed myself till I was like 12 fucking years old, like thinking there was something wrong with me. I grew up thinking that I had a mental health issue, like, like or something. Like I thought I was stupid. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say well, a certain word. A I thought there was something issue. wrong with me. You, you were tortured mentally. My dad convinced yeah. me that there was something mentally wrong with me. Well, it was him. <laughs> it was your environment. But how do you know any better? You know, you know imagine thinking yeah. that for so many years. And then when you're homeschooled, there's bro, I didn't have fucking friends. Right. I didn't know. So I, we were all the weird kids. And, and then when your response, when you try to express emotion, one, one, one of the things, because this shit haunts me to this day, because I, I wish I, wish I could have heard him. My sister said she wanted to kill herself because she felt like her dad didn't love her. Oh. And we go and we pick her up, right? This is the kind of guy he is. We go to pick her up. The whole family goes to pick her up. My mom, my four sisters, me. We go pick her up, pick her up from school. My dad seems really concerned. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know why she would say that, you know, but you could tell. It's like you could tell he was burning inside. So we lived like 10 minutes from school. We get home. We all get out of the car, and we're all, like, quiet. We're all quiet. We're like, man, something's about to go down. Like, as soon as she opens the door, like, gave the key – Grabs her by her hair, grabs her by her pants, fucking throws her, chucks her in the fucking room, starts strangling her in, like, like put, like, threw her on the fucking couch, and then starts strangling her in between the cushions. And then we all have to fight him to get him off. That's your response to your daughter who's suicidal. You know what I mean? So, like, when I say, and we were all mean to each other, that made it even worse. We were all mean. We were all caring in that moment because we knew, like, this isn't right. Seeing him hit my mom, cops being in our house 12 times a year and shit like that, like... I, like I grew up dysfunctional that shit fucked me up and it, it fucked me up when I was toxic I was you know negative and I'm still like toxic and negative right but like you learn who people are when you see that kind of shit I can have conversations like a conversation I want to have like you're you can talk about anything you're open minded like 
but you're also, you got your beliefs, right? Like you're a real, real person. I don't like everybody because you know when somebody's got this fake face. And my dad was one of those people. He had that fucking fake face, man. But the second yeah. he could get you in that door to hurt you, he would take it. And it's like, when you see, when you, when you grow up with that, it just makes you angry. And then that's why it's like, you're going to take half my purse. This motherfucker's my toughest test. You're going to take it from me? Come on. Try it. And you might be, if you beat me, you're one of the best in the world in my mind. And I've never, I, I can, I can honestly say this through all that shit. I have such a strong confidence in myself where it's like, man, ain't no man beating me until it's been done. It's not happening. I have a loss on my career as an amateur because I was 174 pounds fighting at 185 training twice a week with a full-time job with that girl that just yeah. fucked me up. My first pro loss struggling with suicide, depression, things like that. Still hadn't settled that beef with myself. First time I ever went into a fight was absolutely dominating the fight. Uh, I still, this guy's name's Jonathan Potty. Love the guy. Super nice guy. Still talk to him. Would never want to fight him again. Like, but it was a good loss for me. And then you got my arm break. I got one real loss, man. And I got one, I got, I lost to myself. I lost to my fucking mental health. Like I lost to, I lost before I got in. Right. So it's just. You're, you're in a very good spot now though. And I want to talk to you about like where you fit in, in the UFC's middleweight division, because you're like what I would call on the cusp. Like you're a guy, the Jack or Manson fight is going to put you into a great place if you win that. But you're in that conversation. If I win that, two more can, fights and a title. 100%. That's what I'm saying. Like within the next year or two, you could be fighting for a title. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to be smart, man. You know, uh, mental health is something I fight every day. And the reason I keep bringing it up is because I'm going to fight and I'm going to win. And then I'm going to take some time. And then I'm going to go on vacation and I'm going to settle some things I got in myself. You know, within myself. and You feel uh, like that's something that you have to do? Like there's something you're putting off? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you say, do you work with anybody? Do you have a therapist? or? So I just have a lot of people that I talk to close. I've, I've tried therapy like three, four times, and I've never really gotten a benefit from it. Um, I don't know if it's just because I haven't met the right one um, or they haven't been able to get through to me. Like I'm not an open person where I – like I'm an open person. Like I can talk about these things, right? And, right. and I may get upset about some of them, and, and I still – evoke strong emotion from it but uh just because you're listening doesn't mean that i trust you with what i'm telling you you know what i mean for you right. to give feedback and then me to receive it in a way where i think okay let me apply this so i just sometimes i feel like therapy is just another fucked up human being telling another person hey you shouldn't feel like this but um or you should try this and try that but uh, that's why i love cars so much that's why i love cars i love nature and i and i also want to take time because i haven't taken a vacation since i've been in ufc and a couple of years before that. I haven't taken a vacation since before I broke my arm. Um, and uh, I think part of, you know, one of my biggest things isn't holding the UFC title, but one of my biggest things is buying a beach house and that supercar I've always wanted, that Dodge Viper. And, uh, you know, having a loved one and, and going and traveling the world before I'm dead. I think that's what my idea of peace and happiness is. And I'm desperately searching for it. And, uh, I mean, like I said, yeah. you get a lot of power off the horrible experiences of your childhood, but the key is to not be trapped by it forever. And that's that's where some people have to, you have to figure out a way to come, to, come to grips with your life and just accept it and to move forward in a positive way. You're obviously a very good guy. 
you're obviously an incredibly hard worker and you're obviously very successful and you're obviously haunted by your childhood. But th someone could probably help you develop the tools to put that aside. You're never, it's never going to go away. Yeah. It's always going to be inside of you. That monster, he's always going to be in a cage. But I'm okay with that. But I it's, don't it's good to be, it. you're not going to forget it, Joe. Yeah, you're never going to forget, forget it, Joe. Yeah. Joe, you're never going to forget it. But the key is to not let it consume you all the time. And that is where someone can probably help you. You're never going to forget it. There's, there's a monster that's going to be inside of you whenever you need him. You're never, that's not going to go away. It's, it's just not going to go away. But to not live with it all the time would be very, very beneficial for you. Because then you would get all of the positive attributes that come from having a horrible childhood, which is this unstoppable drive, this fury that you can unleash inside the octagon that's very different than other people's. But you can get to the point where it doesn't consume your everyday life. And it's not something that you have to think about all the time. And you can think about positive things. And you can think about growth and expansion and, and, and progress. And I think you're very capable of doing that. It's just so many people, they they rightly so, dwell on the horrible experiences of their, of their childhood forever. And there there comes a time where that doesn't serve you anymore and it, it, it rots at you. Where even with success, you're still angry. Even with success, you're still bitter. Even with success, you still want to talk about it and you want to live it again and you want to go over it in your head. Mm. And that that can rot you out from the inside because at a certain point in time, like your, your mind can't handle it anymore. Yeah. I would say I, I grew emotionally thin when I lost my first pro fight. That's where I was. Right. You know, I can talk about it now and I can evoke those strong emotions, what I remember with it, but I forgive them. Like I, I, I view my dad now as, you know, somebody, like I said, I, I, I don't respect as a, as a man because I don't think he's the definition of what a man's supposed to be for someone that teaches their kids useful tools and whatnot. But I, I, I've forgiven him because I think it's beyond his help because he never got help because right. he never settled with his. Now that is a man that has aged terribly because of his past and his demons that he's never let go. And right. I don't want to be like that. Well, you're not going to be like that. Well, I'm um, already not like that. I'm the only, I'm the Joseph, I'm Joseph Oliver Pfeiffer the fifth and I'm going to be the last um, because I think I need to make a lasting impression for my name. And I'm the first person that's ever, you know, like none of them have been college educated, including me. Um, at a certain point, you know, I've become successful enough. I want to go to college and get some type of degree. And uh, do you I'm, read? I'm not a big reader, but I do watch, watch documentaries. I watch, I watch you... podcasts, the Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast. Um, Don't rely on this I, for education. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's you're right. But it, it's uh, it brings a lot of your, your podcast brings a lot of diversity, a lot of like you have to be open minded to listen to every episode. Right. You have to like there's a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different successful mm -hmm. people. Right. So um, but now I, I'm really big on listening to people that have been through like traumatic things. I like listen to it. A lot of like uh, like army vets that have spoken like Nicholas Irving. um the first black American sniper who had like 33 confirmed kills or something like that. I watched his documentary and to hear the trauma that he's gone through and the things that he's done and how he is still making a good impact for other people. You know, that, that was, that's a powerful dude. And, uh, my life is very common across the world. Uh, and unfortunately, and unfortunately, yeah. um, it's very common. So I think I find light in, 
you always hear me say, I don't know if you've recognized, but after every fight, I don't want to be a role model, but I want to be an inspiration for the kids that it's like, hey, stay in a sport. Don't let that sport go. And whatever that unspoken is that stops you from quitting, follow it. And if it's in wrestling or if it's in soccer or if it's in basketball, keep doing it. Yeah. I used to get laughed at my whole life. I would sit at cafeteria. I stopped sitting with kids. I would play chess every day with my wrestling coach during lunch because kids would laugh at me every time I said, I'm going to be in the UFC. Everybody would snuff, you know, yeah. like, like, like giggle at it. So I just removed myself, put myself in a better situation. I didn't like this friendship. I got out of it. I moved to a place where I could pursue fighting, you know, like I found people that were chasing things themselves, right? You know, so I think it's just about putting yourself around the right people and and constantly wanting to evolve. If you well, stop evolving, you, you pass away. That's a giant part of it, putting yourself around the right people. Either it's through watching documentaries about the right people, if you don't have access to the right people, or if you're very fortunate like yourself to get to a gym where there's great people and to, to live like my in, gym is my family it, yeah you know what sure. i mean my gym is my family i know i know a sean and shit and i always talk about him i always talk about him because when i joined that team man i was not in the ufc and i don't think a lot of people had a lot of faith in me but coach john took me in never charged me a penny you know and and i couldn't afford to i couldn't have afforded it if he did and uh i made the switch before i even got the second surgery you know, he, he cornered me, and, and and I feel it. Like I, I feel I, I can look at them and know that they like I they get emotional too. Like we're fighting for something big here, right? Um, you know, fighting to change my life still. And uh, so there's a big fight coming up this weekend. Obviously, uh, Sean Strickland and Drekus Duplessis. What mm -hmm. do you think about that? That's your division. Yeah, um, both very beatable. That's what I think. Um, I like Sean Strickland. I like Sean Strickland. I like Drick, uh, DDP too. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the American way. I want to vote. I hope the American <laughs> boy keeps it here in America. Um, but, uh, Drakus is a very unusual guy. He's a very unorthodox power puncher, like Ford, but there's a lot of openings to clip him and he doesn't have a granite chin in my opinion. He could take a shot, but, uh, like you, like, I don't think he's fought anybody that could test his chin yet. So, uh, besides that's not true. Let me shut up before I get hated on. Right. Robert Whitaker. Whitaker was a was a dog, but uh, he had Robert Robert's number, man. He had a, he had a good plan. And he's he, deceptively technical. Yeah, he's just exactly. So he know he knows where. I think he's a guy. Let's put it this way. I think he's a guy that knows what he's good at and knows how to get there quick. Mm -hmm. And that's why he comes out hot because he knows how he's going to wear on you. Also, like yourself, he's very big for the weight class. I haven't seen him in person. He's a big boy. Yeah, I haven't he seen him. He looks like person. a fucking heavyweight. But I mean, you know what? I watched this interview on the way here uh, on on the flight and. Uh, He's not stupid. He's a no. smart guy, yeah. and uh, I have respect for I have respect for all. Of them, I don't think you, know? you get that far if you're stupid. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't uh, get you'd to be the surprised, top. man. I mean, there's you know, there's some dumbass people in this. Sport. Not at the top. <laughs> yeah, not at the top. Not the yeah. cream of the crop. Yeah, you don't get that. to that level. Yeah, you you have to have some innate form of intelligence. Yeah, hundred percent. Because Sean you also have to lot be coachable. Yes. Um, I have a lot of respect for Sean because Sean, when I fought Gerald, was in the back. And even before I was in the UFC, he said, hey, you want to come train? And I said no because I knew it was like, man, like, I don't like training with people that I'm going to have to fight. Right. You know what I mean? But I got respect for him. I like his story. He's got um, a crazy style. I don't like listening to him talk. Uh, <laughs> he sounds like a drunk person to me. So I'm not like a uh, – but – well, he off also like you came from a very abusive childhood. Yeah, no, 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 and man, yeah. look at what he's done. It's amazing. You know, look at what he's done, and he's not, 
he's not a style that you're like, oh my God. But you're a style like, man, this is unorthodox and it works for him. He knows what he's good at. He's confident in what he's good at. And he's put himself in the fire against some of the best yeah. to figure out that it works. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that DDP has the, the bigger advantage in this fight. In um, what way? In the way that Sean has been chin-checked a few times. Uh, and I, I think, like, you know, competitively, um, I think that Sean is the easier guy to beat. Um, if he's you can, a hard guy to hit, he's a hard guy to hit, but when you hit him, he reacts big, I think. Uh, and I think a style like DDP is perfect for it. I think he's going to make him like, it's, it's unorthodox. Like Sean, mm-hmm. you know, he could be standing right there, but he's really good at his range. He knows how to, you'll mm-hmm. just miss. You hit his hands, you hit his forearms. Um, he lifts his leg. He keeps you like standing straight up. It's, it's really strange. And he's actually yeah. a hard guy to keep down. I think people underestimate Sean Strickland's jiu-jitsu abilities, right? No, so, his jiu-jitsu is very high level. But, yeah. I mean, they're both good, man. That's what I think. I think they're both good, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I hope him, it stay, I hope the belt stays here in America. Were you shocked when DDP beat down Robert Whitaker like that? Uh, I was I was surprised that he did it the way he did it. Uh, I, I, I didn't count him out, um, but I didn't have him winning. You know what I mean? I definitely thought that it was going to be close. It was going to be tough. I really did. A lot of people counted him out. I was like, that's crazy, bro. This guy's not, I think he was 20 and two or something like that. Yeah. I was like, man, this dude, this dude can bring it. Like, he's going to make it a dogfight. And I don't care how technical you are. When somebody makes it ugly, your, your energy level's down and you're not that technical no more. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was pretty impressive. I was very impressed. I was surprised he could take him down. Yeah. He's a big guy, man. Yeah. Like, he, I got to see him, man. I keep hearing that. I want to see big. him. I mean, he. I don't know what he walked. You said that when you start your cut, what do you walk around at? 218. 218. Yeah. Oh, wait. Start my cut fight week? Yeah. I'll be like 208. Okay. But when you're in training, before you start any cut, you're about 218. Yeah, 218, 220. And the heaviest you get is? That. That's it? Yeah. yeah. I, it's like my cap. Mm-hmm. I won't go any bigger. I'll have to go up a weight class. And yeah. and I might in a couple of years, you know, but I think I would take I would take the proper time to not be disrespectful and fight a fucking guy as big as Johnny Walker or somebody like that. Right. You know, or Uncle Ive. They're, they're thick bone, thick yeah. guys. I, I think a lot of people underestimate, like, there's bone density that comes with a certain size, too. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would have to frame. build myself a little more muscular than these guys. I have to frame to do it. Um and uh, take like a good six months to a year to build myself to then make that move up. Do you find it increasingly difficult to get to 185? I do, I do. Yeah, it sucks. It's it's rough. So you're it's definitely not 208 easy. the week of the cut. 208. And yeah, then, but I'm already like shredded. Like, yeah, like I'll show you uh, like what I look like. And are you using uh, who are you using to do this? Are you using a nutritionist and a weight cutting expert? No, no, nah, I'm just You're not. I, yeah, I, I I use the the guy Castro with UFCPI. He's been great. And, okay. and Charles a little bit. Okay, um, well UFCPI, those guys yeah, are experts. But I, I don't like I like I keep I keep them updated with my weight cut as I'm coming down. But mm-hmm. I don't do like I don't know how people fucking water load, man. I don't, I don't like it. Mm. I, don't, I don't like the water loads. I do my cut like I know my body pretty well and. Uh, I get down, but it's just, it's just, I don't know. Is your cut primarily sauna, or do you bike ride with a wetsuit on? I train on? twice a day still. Yeah? Train, yeah. I, I, I sweet sweat, uh, do a couple rounds, pad work, get the get the sweat flowing, do it a couple ground and pound, uh, you know, wrestling drills, and, and then do a couple ground and pound rounds, and then I'll Just take I'll in very in little water. Take in very little water, um, you know, 
the proper nutrition to kill the sugar cravings and the hunger and shit like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do. I've been getting better and better and better and better at it. Um, but it's still hard, still very hard. And do you have a protocol as far as rehydration? Yeah. So I've been drinking whatever the UFC gives me, um, like their rehydration. And then I'm really big on like, like sodium and potassium intakes and whatnot, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a couple drinks that I, that I drink, but it's just like a BPN electrolyte. Try to get that back in there. Try to get as much salt as possible so I can hold what I'm putting in my body. And what do you try to weigh day of the fight? Whatever my body's, whatever my body's happy at. I don't want to overeat, and I don't want to overdrink where I feel so bloated or right. I feel so heavy, but I, I probably walk in around 210, um, 208. So I blow up. Yeah, um, that's like, a lot. Uh, like by the, so when I fought Gerald, I... Um, when I fought Gerald, I was, I was, I was heavy. I think I was like two oh nine when I walked into the cage. But by the time I faced off with him by four p.m., I was like two oh three, two oh four. So I was like, I put it on quick, and mm-hmm. I don't lose it. Like I'll wake up the next morning, and, and it goes right back to where it needs to. So I have a good system, um, and I think it's only going to get better. But uh, but man, you know, I'm not going to put it out there, but I have never had a smooth camp. I've never had a smooth camp, and this is going to be no different, but this is where I've been built. I've been built in the fire, and, you know, Jack's a good dude. It's going to be a tough fight. I don't know if anybody has a good camp. They say they have good camps, but you talk to them, there's like a rib and a neck and a knee Bro, and everybody an across and... the states lately, though, has been sick as fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of colds going I've on. I've been going. <laughs> I've been going as far as to say somebody's fucking poisoning us because there's no way that everybody I fucking know got sick at the same time and everybody's sick for two, three weeks with it. Well, there's a COVID strain that's going around right now, and then there's the flu. I mean, it's the winter, and you know what a lot of that is is vitamin D deficiency, especially when you're dealing with cold climates. Better take some. I take yeah. vitamin D. Vitamin huh? D and, and vitamin K as well. I take vitamin K, K vitamin D, and I take it with magnesium because mm-hmm. what I was told is if you don't take magnesium, it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't doesn't mean as much. Yeah, yeah. magnesium is important. Do you um, take like a suite of nutrients? Do you know what to do as far as like how much to take of this and that? Do you have some- so I have so I just have like my morning routine of everything that I've taken, and I got it from the UFCPI. You know, they mm-hmm. gave me a sheet, and then I've been doing it for long enough now that it's like I know what I need. So I was UFCPI just is such a great resource. It's a great resource. It's so amazing. when they first built that, I was like, what are they doing, bro? I was fucking blown away when I was out there for Brendan Allen cornering him. I had never been in the cafeteria. I always heard people talk about it. I'm like, where the fuck is it? Like, I never knew how to get to it. Oh, that's funny. Oh, man, I was so upset. I was so mad at myself. I'm like, I've been <laughs> in this shit for a year and a half now, a year, and I didn't know there was a fucking cafeteria everybody yeah. was going to but me. Super healthy food, amazing state-of-the-art facility, the yeah. best stuff for recovery, the best stuff for training, yeah. amazing coaches. You know what I will say, though? So I think it's a great place. I'm not comfortable training in a place like that. Really? You like it dirty? I, I, bro, I like a fucking rat. I'm a ratchet motherfucker. Like, I, I bro, I'm wearing fucking it, sweatpants man. under this. Like, Rocky my, my, when he fought Drago. Yeah. He's out in fucking Siberia running with the logger. It's not back. me, Joe. I don't. Yeah. I, I got an aura ring to track my sleep, right? And and someone that made that like important to me was Sean because my, my fucking sleep sucked. But now I'm like so conscious about it. Sean's taught me so much, man. Sean has taught me so much. That's a guy that needs to slow down, in my opinion. I've never seen somebody train that much. Like... I picture him as like a fucking disgruntled, old, mean motherfucker. Like, just like, <laughs> I didn't fucking have it. Like, he just didn't do anything fun. Like, but, right. uh, but that's not true. He does fun shit, but like, he loves working out. Me, yeah. it's my job and I love working out, 
but that's not all I want to do. I want to go fuck off sometimes, race and you right. know, ride bikes and you know. Well, Sean take a wants vacation. to train. He wants to do jujitsu competitions when it's all done. Yeah, man. Yeah, he he needs to get on the sauce when he's done and get fucking <laughs> go fuck people up, man. Well, I mean, you think about him beating Craig Jones in a grappling match, and again, they didn't have heel hooks, but that's just because that's the UFC won't allow that. But beating Craig Jones is a gigantic accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that guy is elite in terms of people who just train grappling. And for him, a guy who's training MMA, fighting in the the top echelon of the UFC, he's fighting against some of the best of the best, for him to go and beat Craig Jones in a straight-up grappling match, is that's incredible. And look, right? So this Exactly. It is incredible. And, I, and that's the, Phil Rowe, you owe me money. Yeah. He bailed out of a of bet he was supposed to, you know, and this was years, whatever, before I was in the UFC. And, you know, I met Phil Rowe playing with Randy Brown on Call of Duty. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, playing Call of Duty. That's crazy. Uh, Randy Brown's how I met him. I trained with Randy Brown, too. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I was so confident in Sean being in that match because, like I said, I've, go, I've gone with Corey Anderson. I've gone with some, like, heavy big dudes, and I do well. I, do, I hold my own, and I do, I do more than that, right? Like, but... Um, Man, I've never hit. I've never, bro. I'm lucky if I take this motherfucker down like once a month. I, I, I can't do it. You know what I mean? I'm going. I'm he's heavy an elite dude. grappler, and you really saw that in the Kelvin Gastelum fight. Kelvin can wrestle, man, and he was just all over <sighs> Kelvin. I mean, like Kelvin's Kelvin's like a hit or miss, man. It's so yeah. weird. He, uh, it's unfortunate. I think Sean. It's just Kelvin should have been a welterweight from the jump. He should have been, but like, did you see the way he was falling? 85. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looked like he just couldn't like. He, it looked like the second Sean t- like picked him up or like mm-hmm. threw something, he was always so off balance. Well, he might be dealing with injuries. He's also had a very long career. Yeah, some man. fucking crazy wars. He yeah. just had that war with Chris Curtis. He's had wars with Adesanya. He looked good at Chris Curtis he against did. Chris Curtis. He looked great. Yeah, and Chris, was, uh, Chris Curtis is a beast. Yeah, yeah, it was a good fight. And it's just, you know, Kelvin. I told Kelvin a long time ago, dude, I go, if you're 170, I think you, you, you're a potential world champion. Yeah. But at 85, the difference between a guy like you and a guy like him, just the physical frame difference, like Adesanya or Pajeda or any of these really big 85ers, they're just so much bigger. Drekus, yeah. the, the, the the difference, like, Kelvin's my size. You're not just fighting talent, you know, yeah. let's say the skill is matched, now you're fighting size. You're fighting everything. Yeah, I mean, Kelvin is fast as fuck with his hands. He's got beautiful flo- fluid combinations with his fist, like that one-two that he knocked Bisping out with. Yeah. The motherfucker is amazing. And the fight with Adesanya was a war. People forget, he had Adesanya in all kinds of trouble. Kelvin's yeah, but he's always striked, he's, he, his bodybuilder has always been so, like, it's always been so weird to me. I mean, he's missed weight so many times, and He's, he's, I don't know. He just never looks like he fully committed. I don't know if right. that's just his genetics, the way he's built, but it's like it doesn't look like he's terribly sucked out at seventy. Like no, he look, he looks like he went through a cut, but like it didn't look like he lost body fat. Is what you're saying? Yeah. It didn't look, the difference between him at eighty five and him at seventy. I feel like he like really stark. fucks off maybe in his diet. I don't know. There has to be something going on there. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's working with a strict nutritionist. It's really got it all dialed. Hey, in. listen, like I told people too in, in my post fight too, like like that was Sean's first time being overseas and whatnot. And look, I he knows where he's best, right? I'm not saying he's. I don't think he can. I don't think he's like the best striker in the world by any means, but I think he's the best grappler for MMA by a long shot. It's not just me, bro. This motherfucker could put any of us on our back, and you're not getting up. 
You could see when he's grappling, it's very high level. Very He knows what you're doing. Yeah. He knows where he wants you to go. And yeah. you think, oh, I might get up, and then you're stuck. And it's like, yeah. it's very frustrating. I hate going with him. Well, you could see it in the fights, man. You could, you, you know, someone who really appreciates grappling. I really love watching that guy fight yeah. because yeah. It's, it's very high level. And his striking is very good, too. Yeah. You know, the Bilal fight sucked for him, but will ultimately be good for him in the long run because it's, it's just a painful, horrible lesson. Man, I, I'll tell I, this is what I, I don't care if he gets mad. This is what I'll say. I think there was a certain coach that's no longer on our team that I never fucked with that shouldn't have been in his corner and doesn't know how to fucking like bro he they didn't he the the main the head coach the guy that was supposed to, i'm not gonna say his name okay he was supposed to run like give him a structure tell him what to do you know like he 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 just kind of like didn't train him and didn't develop a game plan with him like coach john did everything and coach john's just the striking end of it right mm-hmm. and obviously that's where he lost the fight but the dude shot one time Right. You shot one time and that was it, you know? So I think Sean just, he had a mental bug and, and I think Sean's more of like an introvert where he keeps things to himself and he's very like his private life's his private life. And, you know, and I can respect that versus me. I'm outspoken and I, I'll say what I'm feeling. And I said it the week, bro, I was fucking sad as shit when I fought Abdul. I didn't turn it on until I started walking. Actually, that's not true. I didn't turn it on until I saw him fucking like doing all this like dancing shit. Like, I was like, you think so, huh? And then that's when it turned on, right? But... Some people just can't turn it on, man. And I think that was one of those times where he just wasn't like he was doing good. Like yeah. it, it was a back and forth in the first round, and then it just. You kind also of fell have to off. give credit to Bilal. Bilal's yeah. a, a big fucking tough dude, you know. Yeah. I'm not a Bilal fan. I don't have to give him credit. He's a tough guy, man. <laughs> He's a tough guy. He beat my teammate. I don't fuck with him. Well, I get it. I understand that. But no, like, but he is tough. He, he, I hope he gets. Tough. I hope he gets the. Uh, you know, my feelings for him aside. I hope he gets. He's. You know, How could he not? Uh, I don't understand. How is it even a discussion that he doesn't get the Leon Edwards? Fight? I mean, listen. If I was below, I'd be upset, right? Like I got poked in the fucking eye. I lost my. Right. I lost the fight. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like let's run it back. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I, th- I don't know. Like Leon's like like saying he's not going to get it and shit like that. It's just weird. What is Leon saying? Like about him not getting it. Like he, he doesn't think he deserves it or some shit like that. Really? I think that was when he was about to fight Colby. Like they were saying, oh, Bilal's going to be next. And he was saying like he doesn't deserve it or. The um, only way I could see him saying that is if he, he thinks of pay-per-view points and that Bilal's not a big sale. That he's not going to sell a lot of tickets. But who, who else, else is next then? There's no one else there. Shavkat? Well, Shavkat, but Shavkat needs surgery. He went into that fight with Wonder Boy, fucked up, and that's why he didn't throw any kicks. Yeah. And then you have who else? I think, look, everybody's angling to try to get Connor, right? And For welterweight? It, yeah. <sighs> Listen. Bro, he's small. I understand. But <laughs> wouldn't you take it just for the money? I mean, that's what Leon would I, feel yeah. like. If right. I was Leon, Sure. Yeah. Leon would feel like he has a big advantage. You know, he's a, a Bro, legitimate he would, welterweight. He would dust Connor. And then he'd make a lot of money. He would so dust Connor. if he could talk Connor into that. But Connor and Chandler is interesting too. You know that I, I guess it's actually going to happen. That's and so it's cringy. It's going to happen now, at your weight, I, bro. Which is bananas. Listen, that's bananas. Somebody said something to him about, hey, like we got a no name and me. I would fight Connor. You won't fight eighty five. Shit, man, change my life. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck you up. <laughs> I will but, fuck that dude up. But he's fighting Chandler at eighty five. You know the word? You know what, not an eighty five. You know what I'm not used to yet, Joe. The what? casuals that go. 
are you in Connor's weight class? Uh, you fucking like what? You got to tune out the casuals. You have enough <sighs> conflict in your past. So that's what mind. I that's what I struggle with. I, I my past I'm cool with. When I, I it's not, like I don't think about it every day. Do you day. read comments? Uh, sometimes because <laughs> so I'm like sometimes don't not all do the time. it Joe bro it, Joe, it, it don't motivates do it. me sometimes does it really it does it you, does you really need motivation I always I think I so yeah I, yeah. I do because I don't always want to fight at it I'm not always I'm not fighting at anger in my past right. I have that anger because it's just it bro it's it's I'm bred like that. Like right, that's but you're also fighting out of ambition. I'm fighting out of ambition. And I'm fighting. And you know what my biggest drive is? Is like I said, that dream car, that dream house, that loved one, that travel life. Like I, I mm -hmm. want, bro. I want to live life. I want to see the world. A life that you didn't have when you're young. I'm scared, bro. I totally I'm, get it. No, I'm scared to grow old and never see what this world has. And I mean, like sights wise. Like I want to go to Ireland. I want to go to Switzerland. I want to. I want to go see places. I hear you. And yeah. uh, you'll see those things. Yeah, man. I, but, I really believe it. Right. But I, don't read the comments. <laughs> I, I did almost fight one of the fans. No, I did. I would try I tried bro, I tried to get him to come to the gym. I was like, man, this would be great fucking content, right? Like, but then I was like, man, that's corny. And uh I actually think the guy would have followed through. He was that fucking stupid. Um, there's a lot of dummies. They, there's so many videos of guys <sighs> showing up at gyms. And uh, online internet trolls getting head kicked. There's bro, I'm not. so many of them. <laughs> I just watched some recent one with some guy. Went into a Muay Thai gym, and the dude hit him with a leg kick and then fucking shinned him in the head. KO? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he brutalized him with a leg kick, and then the guy didn't move right, and then stepped back, boom, head kick, and flatlined him. That, Just some that's, dumbass that's, internet that's hard, troll. Right? Like, that's hard, right? Like, on that subject, that's hard, right? Like, I'll read the comments sometimes because I'm petty, like... I went back after I beat Abdul, and I was like, yeah, talk that shit now. Like, say something. Like, you know what I mean? Just to those few. I saved three particular you comments. You saved. I did. <laughs> and I went back. I went back. Joe, that's so crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm an elephant, bro. When you hurt, I get you, it. So, you don't forget. So, but nothing you get taught to deal with, right, is is what to say and what not to say. People always give their opinion. Like, even before coming on here, don't talk about a certain thing. Because I have my beliefs, right? So we stay in a safe space. We can talk about it. There's a plenty what of things. What are people telling you not to talk about? Uh, well, you don't talk about politics. You don't talk about people's parents. You don't talk about mm. religion, shit like that. You know what I mean? I would say don't talk about other people's parents. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But politics and religion, that's just a part of well, life. Anybody says you shouldn't I, talk I, about if politics I gave, if I gave, and religion. Well, that's the thing, though. If I give my political view on this, it's like it opens up. A door not you know you'll get a lot of new like people but it opens up the door for all these other wide it's such a diverse like such a controversial argument yeah. it's like I'll have this conversation with you off camera all day long I got my beliefs and I think you know where I'm at but yeah. it's like uh, yeah I mean it's just certain things you don't well this is a very divided country more so than I'm 56 and never in my life have I seen this country that's more crazy divided. that's crazy Never. You look like you fucking figured out how to reverse time, man. <laughs> You're talking about me being big. You're fucking wider than me. I stay healthy. Yeah. TRT and a lot of vitamins, and I'm always doing something. I, I'm very active in taking care of my body. You wish you fought? No. No. I you wish you had a, a fight. I had kickboxing fights. I had three kickboxing <laughs> fights, and I had about 100 Taekwondo fights. And... Uh, I, yeah, I I've seen your fucking spinning back kick, bro. I'm not fucking. Yeah. <laughs> must stay out of range on that. I unfortunately also came up in a gym that didn't spar smart. We sparred hard. We fought. It was like a lot of knockouts. When, when did knocked. you start? 
I started martial arts when I was 15. That's when I started seriously. I took a little bit of it before. I took karate when I was 14. I fucked around a little bit before that. But when I was 15, I became obsessed. And, you know, just wasn't really good at anything other than art. I was a good, uh, was a good artist. But it was nothing that really made me feel like I was a special person until I started doing martial arts. Then when I started winning... And I became obsessed. I was training every day, and I started getting really good, winning tournaments. And then I, I realized, like, oh, I'm not a loser. I just never figured out what to do. And now I found a thing to do, and I know that if I just work hard, I can be exceptional, and I can get better at it. But I was also, when I was making the transition into kickboxing, there was first of all, there's no money. This is we're talking 1988. There's no money in it. And uh, there's nobody in kickboxing. I wasn't a good boxer. I didn't have a lot of boxing experience. And some of the guys that I was training with were going into boxing, particularly this one kid, uh, Dana Rosenblatt, who went on to be the New England middleweight champion. And he beat Vinny Pazienza. He beat Howard Davis Jr. Who Vinny Pazienza fought uh, Roy Jones. Yes. Yeah. yeah he was the only broke guy. Broken neck. Yeah. Well, he did. He broke his neck in a car accident. Um, but when I was watching those guys, one of the things that I was seeing was brain damage. And I was seeing guys where I knew them from five years ago, and then I know them now, and I was noticing slurring, a slowness to the way they were thinking. And, you know, I was just seeing people didn't just spar. They fought in the gym. And, you know, there's a lot of that from the early days of MMA as well. You know, particularly, like, shoot the box. Those guys just beat the fuck out of each other. Like, the old Militich fighters, those guys beat the fuck out of each other. There was a lot of camps where the amount of damage, like, I've talked to Shab about this, too, about him training with, like, Shane Carwin and those guys back in the day in Denver. They beat the fuck out of each other. And the damage that you take in the gym, that shit counts. It's It's real. Yeah, and in that way, I'm glad I didn't because I already, I started seeing, I you know I was a lot, a lot of headaches and that kind of shit early on, and I was like, and there was no future. I didn't have a future in fighting. There was no, it didn't exist. So when the UFC came along, uh, which was uh, 1993, I'd already stopped fighting. I was already doing stand up comedy, but I was like, oh, they figured it out. This is it. Somebody figured it out because it, uh, back then it was always like. How do you make a living as a martial artist if you want to compete? There's no money. You have to open up a school. The only thing you could do is teach at a school and then compete in tournaments, and there's no money in the tournaments. Mm. But then when the UFC came along, also, we realized like how much of what people were doing was nonsense. How much of pe- what people were doing was wasted time. So that's how it was when Eddie was coming up. It was like barroom brawl type fucking training yeah and that's that's how yeah. i grew up when i seen it and then yeah I was, bro my dad used to be pit, pit me at 12 years old against 16 year olds and i remember i fucking thought my head was bleeding i'm sure <laughs> and probably was yeah you know that that kind of training it teaches you how to be tough and how to deal with like a real fight and you definitely get more comfortable with really throwing but the consequences of those shots that you receive in training are legitimate you know jerry quarry you know who he is Famous boxer, fought Muhammad Ali back in the day. Just a crazy tough dude who just walked forward and just ate punches and took a beating. Just a tough, tough dude. Well, he had a bunch of fights, and at the end of his life, he was a vegetable. He was just gone. Yeah. Well, his brother only had, like, one pro fight, I think. And his brother never had a pro career. His brother was just as fucked up as Mm. he was at the end of his life. And it was all from the gym, all from just gym wars. You know, I was I was watching this uh, 
video last night on Wilford Benitez. And uh, they were talking about Wilfred, Wilfredo Benitez during his day was just an insanely slick boxer. You know, turned pro when he was 17, was a world champion sh- shortly after that, was, a, was an incredible defensive boxer out of Puerto Rico. And at the end of his life, man, where he is now, like he's bedridden, he's a vegetable basically. That's him now. I mean, uh, it's so hard to see, man. That's a shame. Yeah, I, I heard. Last fight of Wilfred Benitez. Oh, man. The pride of Puerto Rico, the ailing boxing grays now fully dependent on his sister who watches over him, their Humboldt part, apartment. So, I mean, so that's exactly that. another reason, right? Like when you want to talk about what well, we were talking about, me yeah. going 200 mile an hour. Yeah. I could go into, like that shit, I don't like reading that stuff because yeah. that sits in the back of my mind too. I don't want to be yeah. a fucking vegetable. Of course. Right? But I'm not, and I'm not knocking our pay, but we don't make what any other professional athlete makes. Well, you do at the high end. At the high end, right? But, yeah. you know, I'm three fights in, and I'm fortunate to be getting the main event. Man, I I don't know, but I, I was told that there's only one other person that's done that in my division. And I don't know who it is. And I want to know who it is. I don't know, but obviously there's a shit ton of hype on you. You know, you've got right. a, lot of, a lot of great hype on you. Which is, which, you know what's crazy? Doesn't do anything to me. Like, I don't feel like I think DC didn't believe me at first when I was I made my debut. When I got in the UFC, the weight on my shoulders dropped. Now, there's another weight that comes on, right? The expectation and things like that that I hold myself to. But I'm like, man, like, I don't give a fuck if there's a thousand people, if there's zero people, if there's 50,000 people. It doesn't phase me. I don't care about that. I'm so like locked in on your face. Like, that's that's what I want. Like, you motherfucker like you are the second half of my paycheck i'm coming for you like and uh i think sometimes that's where you have really talented guys that don't know how to get past the the lights the Mm -hmm. cameras it's a big moment it's a you see it all the time fighters when they make that ufc debut some guys just rise to the occasion and you see them better than they've ever been before in the ufc debut because they belong there they're champions they just have to and then there's other guys that get dwarfed by the moment. The moment hits them, and they're just, whew. Well, you know what's crazy is, like, it, it, the moment hits you, like, it's a weird feeling. when It's so different, even for me sitting as a fan watching. Like, you don't realize what that person's going through when you walk out, and it's like a cold sweat because it's a fucking big-ass building, like mm-hmm. AC. It's like that cold sweat, but you're kind of hot, and then you fucking realize when you're in there, it's like everything's, like, so amplified and you're like fuck man like i'm about to get into a fist fight yeah but then that's where you make that decision like once that finally hits your brain which we all have it it's like you you either can hone in on what you're about to do or you can hone in on the fact that like you don't feel like being there right and one of the things that i've come to terms with is i think that changed my trajectory of my career and the way i fought because if you watch my early fights like I would just go out there and try to like blitz and get out of there and like just fuck you up and knock you out and get out. Like that's what I wanted to do. I don't look, I don't force trying to knock people out. I don't force the finish. I don't. I just try to wear and then catch you. I know I need one. In my head, I'm convinced you could be Francis Ngannou. I think I need one. That's I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't. And then you got the other aspect of fighters that convince themselves, oh, I can knock somebody out. But, you, you, it just, but they don't truly believe it's it. It's different. Yeah, there's yeah. a difference between coaching yourself to believe it and actually fucking believing it. Well, you have extraordinary power, you know. And what I was saying about the Razak Al-Hassan fight is that you showed another level of poise 
in that fight. It was another level of technique. It was another level of like, this again, it's like, it's very difficult for a fighter to express themselves at, at like, you, you know when a guy's on in the gym and you just go, motherfucker, look at that dude. They mm. just, sometimes guys just look like they're on fire. They're timing, they're everything. Like, look at a world beater. You're like, who could beat that dude? Right, <laughs> who could beat that dude? Yeah. And then it's very difficult to express that inside the octagon. So when you hear a lot of great things about fighters and then you see a performance, you gotta go, okay, they gotta get over the anxiety, they gotta get over the pressure, they gotta get over the, the experience boundary, because you do need experience in front of different styles, no matter what. No matter how well you train and how good your training partners are, you need live experience against really talented fighters to really develop to your full potential. And in the the Razak fight, I saw it with you. I was like, okay, he hit another. He hit another level. Yeah, I wish. I wish. I'm. I, I was. That was a tough fight. It was. It was. A, it was a scary fight to take because he was tactically behind me and he had all knockouts. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. So that's. There's that in the back of your head. There's that fear. Like, ah, oh, shit. Like he can clip anybody. He man. can clip anybody. Right. But you know. I and at the in the same token, I, I just kept it very small. Like I didn't buy into that. It was like, bro, you're you're a middleweight short guy that is coming up to a weight you don't belong. That's my opinion. Do you think that he should be one seventy? Hundred percent. Yeah. He does not belong one eighty five. And he doesn't. He's not the leanest guy at one eighty five. He's a thick, spark plug built yeah. type style. He's a fire hydrant, right? Like he, he is a big man at one seventy. Um, I just think he's lazy. I, that I think sucks. he's lazy. That's that's my opinion because yeah, the fact that I took you down that easy, the fact mm-hmm. that I kept you down that easy, bro. I put that choke in pretty basic. Mm-hmm. And I felt him wilt. I think the slam really was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then he got slammed again. And, you know, and There's I think such a difference just... in size. There's such a difference yeah. in size. And I, I've advocated many times for multiple weight classes. I think, I think the jump between 70 and 85 is too high, and I think the jump between 85 and 205 is way too high. 20 pounds is so big. It is. It it's is. So, there's so m- I mean, obviously, Pajeda pulls it off, but... One ninety five would be a, freak. a sweet ass a class, sweet, man. I think I think class. you get the perfect, you get the height. At, mm-hmm. So I, I, it's funny. Every fighter will contest to say that their division is the best, but I think the the perfect athlete is my size, the height, the power, the, the power, right, the the explosiveness, everything. If you can, I think I do. I like a Yoel Romero, mm-hmm. like that. It, that you get a taller guy. I mean, he's right. not the tallest, right? But you get a t- or even a Paul Acosta. Right. Like you look at their build. Right. Like I think right. that's the perfect mix between a not too tall, just the right height, big, mm-hmm. explosive, high volume, um, high volume. heavyweights. Yeah, yeah like but still it, crazy knockout power. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, but that's just me. Um, no, yeah, I, I, mean, I see that argument. Eighty-five is obviously a very deep division too, because there's a big size difference between seventy and eighty-five. It's a big difference, which is the Kelvin argument. Like yeah. when you know. But then when Calvin went down to 170, and sh- but Sean's a big one, fucking 72. His back looks like it's two people's backs. Strickland? No. Sean Brady. Oh, Brady? Bro, yeah. he has no- Bro, he's just chest, dick, and legs. It's insane. <laughs> his back is like layers of bricks. He's an ape. Yeah. He, it, literally, his lats like sit like- <laughs> He's I got make- so much what you would call like squeeze power. Yeah. You, know, you can bro, see all that that's, squeeze that's, power That's exactly it. Like, yeah. This fucker, when he gets you in something, mm-hmm. you think, man, he's squeezing with everything he's got. And then it just keeps going, and yeah. it keeps going, it keeps going. It's like, what the fuck? But his when... back, it's like these layers of, like, muscle. That it's just, I hate him. When he's, like, walking, it's ridiculous. He's I got an extra him. back on yeah. top of his back. <laughs> it's, I don't know what the fuck, I don't know. 
He deadlifts but, more than me, squats more than me. Fuck him. I don't like him. Big fucker, dude. <laughs> but when you look at a guy like that, like that's a legit 170. Like that yeah. that guy at 170 is a fucking terrifying force. Yeah. Like a Kamaru Usman at 170. That's a terrifying force. And if you're 20 pounds heavier than that, you, you know. You know who's a freak at 70, though? Andy. Uh, not Andy. Randy Brown. Oh, yeah. That's a tall boy. Hey, yo, oh, he, yeah. he could box, man. He could box. I was so yeah. mad at the way that we literally said, like, yo, don't exit. Mm-hmm. Don't exit. You can't yeah. exit with your hands down, bro. Like yeah. he, he's gonna swing bombs overhands. He's got to reach you. Mm-hmm. Fucking did it, man. Like yeah, I think they had to, uh, it happens. Yeah, it happens. You know, Jalen Turner's another one. Like that dude at one fifty five. <sighs> that is crazy. Bro, how, uh, I, I was so I love Bobby Green. I do like, too. That, I watched it for years. I was so mad at that. That was horrible. But he did his job. Well, that referee though, thing. that referee should have stopped that fight 10, 15 punches earlier. Yeah, the referees. I don't know who it was. But I don't know what happened. Cheeks, They're good. That guy. I don't want to say his name, but ordinarily he's good. I don't know what happened. Like people fuck up. They make mistakes. Yeah, it happens. You give a guy yeah. a chance. You know, you think the guy's going to survive. It's like we were watching the Jose Luis Castillo yeah. fight. It's like it's a tough job to yeah, be in the like to, to know when to call it mm-hmm. because you don't want to take that opportunity from somebody. Yes. Like, uh, what was the one fight? Yuri Prohaska and Alex Yeah, Bahia. man. I was yes. pissed watching it. I was like, yo, like, let him fucking try. He's still yeah. moving. He's still moving. And Yuri has shown the ability to recover. Like yeah. the Dominic Reyes fight. He was out on his feet. Bro, I love Yuri. Yuri's a bad man. I, 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 I love that, that reel when he's screaming out in the wild. Yeah. Bro, I've done that in my truck. Like, Bro, but how funny <laughs> was Jamal Hill? Jamal Hill, like uh, when Yuri did that thing, like, like he was outside, I'm coming. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, he was a that's what she cool. said. I, that's Jam- what she said. <laughs> Jamal Hill's cool. <laughs> He's hilarious. He's funny as shit. I'm excited about his return. Him against Pajeda, That is a very exciting fight. Yeah, for he me. had that. I think he beats him. He might. I think he beats him, bro. I think he's deceptive. Very. He looks fluffy, mm-hmm. but he's quick and he's got snap. He, well, what he did to Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira Glover is a not bad man, bro. Yeah. That dude did not want to lose. No, no <laughs> that's a man that wanted it. He's a bad man, and and Jamal put it on him. Yeah, he put it on him. Jamal is so good at finding your fucking chin. He's just he's just got this range intelligence, this intelligence of when to strike and when to like the. I mean, he's just there's so many of his fights where you watch the movement. He's like a snake charmer. Yeah, like he knows how to put it on you. Yeah. You know, the Johnny Walker one. Like, when everybody said that Jamal doesn't hit hard, what the fuck are you talking about? What, Bro, is, what the I, fuck I, are you I talking never, about? I, that is the weirdest fucking knockout I've ever seen. I His thought he was fucking, I thought he, but he yeah. went, he went, yeah, he like bent forward and then flew back. And yeah. I was like, I've never seen some dumb shit like that ever. Johnny has been knocked out a lot. And the thing is, like, when a guy gets knocked out a lot, it's like, you got to wonder how much. He's got his nose broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ankaliyev was a bad man. That's a thick dude, man. That's what I was talking about when I was saying, like, yo, you got different bone densities. Like, that's a thick guy. Well, then you got to think of uh, Jan Bohovic. Jan Bohovic went shin to shin with that dude and fucked his legs up. Like, Jan Bohovic is made out of rocks. Like, that fucking yeah. dude. Is, and that's another one. He's like, built like SpongeBob SquarePants. When bro, Adesanya went up to 205, like, that guy was too big. Yeah. He's too big. It's yeah. a, that's a giant jump, man. That's a giant jump. You think jump. Izzy comes back 2027 or sooner? I, you know. I think sooner. I think sooner. I think, you know, you say things like that because your body's beat up. He went through so many camps in a row. He defended his title more than any other champion. So active as a champion. So active. You're going to get, and then I fucking think he just didn't, I think he slept on Sean a little bit. I think he bit. burnt out. 
I think it was a little bit of that. But I also think I think he thought Sean wasn't on his level. I thought he I think a he thought he was gonna piece him different. up the way he did with Paulo Costa. Yeah. That he was just gonna go piece him up. But Sean is so hard to hit. He saw, you know, they did that thing with the UFC where they, I think it's a mouthpiece where it registers how many times you get hit. Sean spars more than anybody, and he gets hit less than anybody, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. That style is very sneaky. Yeah. You know, and it's I just, know the Philly shell. I don't do it the same way he does, but. It's weird to yeah. see someone do it in MMA yeah, he, because he no one else does it. Hands. Yeah. He walked, it doesn't, it just looks odd. But, well, he's but he also doesn't dip. Mm-hmm. So right. I think that's that's kind of like a part of his defense. Like right. a lot of people that do the Philly show, like me, sometimes I'll dip into a certain side, and it's like he just kind of stands straight mm-hmm. and, and leans and like right. either puts his arms out. And, yeah. Uh, I the problem it, with dipping with kicks is like kick your face off. Man. Yeah, you zig when you should have zagged, and that shin's yeah. coming at you, and this, you know, I mean, it's there's so many fucking good fights to be had right now. There's so many good fights that are coming up. You know one I'm really fucking excited about is Volkanovski versus Ilya Topuria. Ilya's, <sighs> I like watching Ilya box, bro. That's a bad man. He hunts the body, he's I a, love it. He's a bad man. And, he's a tough dude. And he's a guy that knows how to take it too. If you watch that Jai Herbert fight, yeah. where he got caught yeah, he got head dropped. kicked, yeah. bad. He still came back. Yeah, and that's at 55 too. I do think Ilya He's a 45er. I do think Ilya wins. Really? I do, yeah. We we have like, a, me and Sean do like a little, uh, little tiny like podcasts on picking fights and just this is a situation I wanted to talk to you about this because there's a lot of different philosophies on this. I understand why Usman took that last minute fight against Hanza, and I understand why Volkanovski took that last minute fight against Makachev. And as a fan, when I was at home and they announced that the cha- those changes, yeah. I was like, oh shit! But the reality is, you need a camp. You are not the same guy with 10 days notice as you are with 10 weeks notice. You are just not the same guy. And when you look at the Volkanovsky that fought Makachev the first time, that was a guy who went through a full fucking camp and was A-plus, rip ready to go, full gas tank, let's fucking go. The guy- Let alone what it does for you mentally. Yes. Yes. You have to go through that suffering to know that you were built strong enough to withstand what you're about to go through. And also, I, I won't take no fucking short notice fight. I'll die. I don't think you should either. I, I don't think any, I, I really don't think anyone should, even though I like them when they make them. Yeah. I'm a hypocrite. I won't do it. Because as a fan, I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to see this. You could be a hypocrite as long as you're a fan of fan. <laughs> but it's, if I was in Usman's corner, if Kamara was my friend, and, and I'd say, don't do it. Don't do it. I think you beat that guy with a camp. Yeah, I mean, even at eighty-five, I think he could beat that guy because if you look at the third round, he was coming on strong. Yeah, comms that was done, and he didn't have a camp at all. Yeah, I think there's a difference, a giant difference. Yeah. It's not like a five percent <laughs> difference. I think it's like a twenty-five percent difference. Nah, probably even more than that. And when you look at Makachev, first of all, Makachev is a fucking monster. He's a monster. You yeah. do not want to fight that guy when he's gone through a full camp in Dagestan. Rip ready to go. And yeah. he had adjusted to Volkanovski's style. He yeah. had a completely good solution. He had a perfect solution. The kicks to the body. He was throwing those kicks to the body. He set up that head kick. He took away Volkanovski's leg kicks from the outside. He took away all the shit that Volkanovski was doing to him that was troubling him in the first fight. And he imposed his will on him. But and that's head often kicked. the problem, right? You go, you take a short notice fight. Sure. Now everybody will sit here and say, man, that guy's got balls. And then that rides off into the sunset, and that's all you got for or it. Or you get Aspinall. 
Tom Aspinall wins the title on short minutes fight, short short notice fight, and couldn't even spar. His yeah. rib was all fucked up. He yeah. couldn't even train, couldn't wrestle. And he's fighting Sergey, who's a monster. He's a monster, but I think they blew him up. They blew Sergey up? I think they blew him up. Well, yeah, because they needed, they needed the next crazy punching power guy. Well, he does have that. He definitely does. But you also have to look at the Alistair Overeem fight. But Alistair we all knew he had, up. like, a, yeah. I mean, I, honestly... Alistair, yes, Alistair did and exposed his wrestling and things like yes. that. But I mean, Alistair's the guy. That's the steroid argument. Like that's the guy. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy for legalizing Bro, steroids. That's a fucking. <laughs> I remember. When I I remember. I was so like excited. We couldn't afford to fucking buy it, but I was like, when him and Brock Lesnar fought, <sighs> and I was like, man, I just remembered like the hype video, and yeah. I was like, yo, these are two fucking giants. Like Brock yeah. was huge and. But then yeah. again, Brock probably shouldn't have taken that fight either because Brock was just a few months out of uh, diverticulitis surgery where he had to get a, a length of his colon or his uh, intestine removed. Mm. I mean, thank God, man. I've never had anything in like the that. body like that from Alistair, who's a K1 Grand Prix champion yeah. and juice to the tits at 260. Yeah. Alistair was huge. Do you think that? Do you think. <laughs> He was fucking huge, man. Do so you think that the heavyweight? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the heavyweight limit should be two eighty five? No, I don't think there should be a limit. I don't either. I don't think it makes any sense. I, I, we I, don't I, have a super heavyweight class. I say anything above three thirty is too much. Why? Let him fight. Because then you're gonna get some fat motherfucker that ain't. So let that guy get a single up. punch. Let that guy get fucked Fair up enough. by Francis. Fair enough. But I don't think you should cut weight. I think you should be like a heavyweight in boxing. Like when um, Andy Ruiz fought Joshua, terrible in the second fight. He was so fat. He was 280 pounds. But that's just what you are. That's it. Yeah. This is heavyweight. Heavyweight yeah. is heavyweight. This idea of a super heavyweight class, we've never utilized it. There's a weight class above 265. Why do you think Santa won't weight. do it? There's nobody there. Who's there? Other no, than no, no, Francis? No. Like even, Francis can... even like a 195, a 175. Five. I don't know. They don't listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> listen, oh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> if it was me, I would do two things very, very early on. If it was my decision, and it, it would fucking throw everything into chaos, but ultimately be better for the sport. Number one thing I would do is more weight classes. I would say minimum every 10 pounds. I agree with that. And I at think... the lighter weight classes, you could go five pounds. Look at what boxing does. Boxing is, you know, 126, 130, 135. Like they, they, they go. I think it would be the cleanest or organization to have every 10 pounds. 10 pounds. But without, like, boxing, there's four different fucking belts at each weight class like, right. or whatever it is. Well, there is know? kind of with the UFC. You know, I mean, people respect, obviously, uh, uh, Johnny Eblen is, like, one of the best middleweights on the planet Earth, without yeah. a doubt. And unfortunately, he's fighting at Bellator, and the casual has no idea who he is. Where well, the guy's a monster. And then you he have... just got announced to fight um, Impa. Kasanganai. Yes. yes. Who yeah. Me and him. He was. Me and Impa fought in the same contender series when I broke my arm and he won. Yeah. I like Impa. Impa's a great guy, and unfortunately, he's at the, the wrong end of that highlight kick from Joaquin. Joaquin Buckley hit him with the one of the yeah. craziest kicks of all time. That jump spinning back kick while he was holding his left leg. That yeah. was wild. Yeah, that was. That was wild. And Joaquin is another one. Yeah. That dude at 170 is a fucking problem. Yeah. And he's a guy who was, he was a big, muscular guy who decided to fight at 85 and was beating a lot of guys at 85 because he's so powerful. But 
You see him at 170, his gas tank is crazy. His skills look like he's on another level. Yeah. I he's, know he was salty. I told him in the back before I beat Abdul, I was like, I'm going to take that bonus from you. <laughs> they were talking shit on me when I walked in the fucking PI, though. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, but me, me and Buckley are cool, but, I yeah. love Buckley. Yeah, he was like, man, be Joe Pfeiffer. And Abdul <laughs> was like, man, fuck Joe Pfeiffer. I was like, ah, that's how you feel, all right? <laughs> but, yeah, it was funny. Well, Joaquin's I, funny. Joaquin at 170 is a real force. He's a real force. Yeah. And I think uh, as he moves up in the rankings at 170, I think that's his real weight class. So here's the thing, though. When I look at a guy like Buckley, and he, you know, hopefully he watches this or he doesn't watch this and get offended, but how does he fare against somebody like, uh, like you still got Kevin Holland, who yeah. whooped him. He did. He whooped it, him at 185. You got but it. I think, the, uh, in all fairness, I think uh, Joaquin Short is notice. a way better fight. He's a way better fighter now at 170. Yeah. Now. Look, you get better. You keep yeah. The dude is driven as fuck. Yeah. He's constantly training. He's getting better. Everybody yeah. gets better, or they don't. And when they don't, you see that, too. You I would see like those to guys see Joaquin against a guy like Jeff Neal type oh, yeah. of deal. I think that would... Yeah. I like Jeff Neal. Well, dude, Jeff Neal is another guy. Go back and watch his Bilal Muhammad fight. He pieced up Bilal back in the day. Jeff Neal was the dark horse. When he knocked out Mike Perry, when he hit him with that head kick, yep. Jeff Neal is a motherfucker when I he's on. I think he's the one that put Mike Perry's fucking nose on the other side of his I face. I thought it was, too, but Mike corrected me online. It was Vicente Luque. Vicente Luque did that ah, to his nose. Ah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Ma my, meanwhile, Mike Perry at bare-knuckle boxing is one of Tearing the it up. fucking dangerous human beings ever. Yeah. He's specifically designed for bare-knuckle fighting. Like, that guy is you know like, what's funny? uniquely qualified to brag. do that. Lorenzo Hunt, you know? Yeah. I beat him. Did you? Choked him unconscious. My In an MMA third, fight? Third, yeah, my third or fourth pro fight. Ah, well, he said, man, that's somebody's kid. That's somebody's kid. And I choked so him unconscious. about you? Out. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's hilarious. I didn't throw a single fucking punch. He came out, threw a wild right hand, took him down, choked him out. He's a very good bare knuckle boxer. That was my first introduction because I was still kind of undersized at middleweight. Mm -hmm. He was my first introduction to like an old head. That was like 33, 34 that had like fucking grown man strength. Mm. You see that motherfucker's head? His shit's like yeah. this fucking big. Yeah. He's stout. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I, bare Awkward. knuckle fighting Awkward. is not getting the respect that it deserves. You know, I think it's too brutal for the common people. Yeah. I think so. I think you're probably right. <laughs> But, but I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, the juggernaut. He's a beast. Yeah. I, I love watching those guys, too. It's just because it's such a hard way to do it. It's such a hard way to do it. I mean, bare-knuckle boxing is fucking rough. You see when Rockhold quit, when Mike Perry blasted his teeth out, he's like, that's it. Bro, honestly, Rockhold is the biggest disappointment to me. He used to be one of my favorite fighters, and he's just like, I didn't realize how fucking socially stupid he is. <laughs> In an interview, it's the worst shit I've ever listened to. <laughs> yeah, you better. I'm I'm coming. Yeah. It's like, you don't know what the fuck to say? Well, like, in his prime, the man was a monster. Yeah, he was, he was a, a beast, man. monster in his prime. When he beat up Chris Weidman and won the title. That was a crazy fight. Crazy and then he just kind of like fell off. Well, Ever since Mike fucking checked his shit, I think Mike ruined him. Bisping. Yeah. I think Mike fucking broke him, man. Well, that was a bad loss. And to fight Bisping on short notice and be like super cocky. There's a thing about being confident and being delusional or yeah. overconfident or not respecting your yeah. opponent. And, you know, everybody I deserves it. Yeah. I don't know if that's what happened with Adesanya and Strickland. I think Strickland is just that good. I really do think. I don't think, I don't think Izzy like sidestepped him as much as we think. I just think. I think people don't understand when you're in there and you got a guy that never fucking takes a step backwards. Right. It and doesn't throws get tired. you off. You never can plant. Right. So 
you're not hitting your power shots. You're not doing the damage that you would if you were dictating. Mm-hmm. You're not going on your terms when you're going backwards the whole time. And that's that's why I think DDP has a, a good chance because he's going to fight for that center to walk forward. Right. He's a guy that walks forward. Sean walks forward. I just think because DDP kind of falls over his knee when he attacks, I think he's going to get Sean to move back. Mm. But for how long? We'll see. I'm very interested to see who prevails. I think he but does well early. The we Abus think... fight, Abus Magomedov fight, I think that fight was one of the most impressive fights of Strickland's fight. I do too. Because I think it was Abus, underwhelming to people though. Abus comes out in that first round Hot. like a bat out of hell, but he just gassed out. I mean, he was gassed out at the end of the first round. Yo, he was throwing bombs. He was trying to take him out. I think Abus was just so used to taking guys out. Yeah. That he thought he could just put it on Sean, and he was hitting Sean with fucking fire. Yeah, he was hitting him. That dude's good, man. He's yeah. good, but Sean just wilted him. Yeah. He just wilted him. Yeah, He's, man. He doesn't get tired. Yeah, it's crazy when you and when you have a guy who spars as much as Sean, because the bulk of Sean's training is sparring, and he spars hard. He's so accustomed to that. That that's really like a fight all the time. He knows himself very well. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's good at. Yeah. And he knows what he likes. He knows what works for him. Yeah. So why fix what's not broken? You know, so. Um, how do you think, what do you think Adesanya does when he comes back? Like, well, who does he fight? Mm. Like, he's not going to fight Paulo Costa Well, again. he's still ranked, right? Of course. Like, but why wouldn't you take him out of the rankings if he's saying he's not coming back for three, four years? Because he's not really. Right. So, I mean, that, but that, that's why I'm asking that is like, I don't think he's going to sit out that long either. Like, three years is crazy. That would be a crazy thing to do. I mean, unless, look, I haven't talked to him. He may have like real injuries that yeah. need like real. Yeah, he fought, like we said, he fought so much he was active. Yeah. I think, I think that this fight happens this weekend. And I think maybe one or two more title fights, whoever is holding it. Um, I think if DDP wins, there's a chance he slides in to fight Drakus, Um just because of all that, that shit. Adesanya tr- yeah. fight? It could be. And, but I, and also Hamza. you got to wonder where Hamzat fits in that. I mean, obviously Hamza beat Usman. They might. They might you think? Him. Yeah. Well, he's got superstar power. Yeah, he's got I mean, honestly, power. like I'm I get like nervous watching him like with excitement. Yeah. Because I love watching him. It's it's his face. It's the way he looks. When it's he's his smiling. persona. He's like doing this shit. Yeah. Smiling at him yeah. at the beginning of the fight. He looks yeah. evil. He does. Uh he he's got the look of somebody that like, man, yeah. this motherfucker's about it. And he is. He's he's tough. He's a gangster, man. He goes out there and he does his game and you know, he's not a quitter, but... Adesanya uh, injured. Shares timeline for full-time return to training camp. Last time, I don't look returned sooner than many expected, although his current rehab schedule doesn't make UFC 300 fight look very likely. Okay, so he is talking about coming back. So when it says he's injured, does it share it what the injury is? specific. I was just looking to hopefully share that, but it doesn't say specific. Yeah, I think there's stuff that he's been dealing with. So the, in, I, I got this injury, and it'll take a while to recover. A long time to recover and whatnot. Like, I'm like, what are you telling them? A smart coach who knows the injury exists will try to use it against you. So he's not going to tell anybody what the injury is. He's so far, I'm recovering very well, and I'm on track. If he's got something that's that big, that's either, like, knees or back or neck, generally. Generally. Or, you know, it could be other joints. But generally, when you, when someone's got a significant injury like that and they need a lot of time off, it could be a back thing. It could be a knee thing. It could be know. a gastrointestinal thing. Yeah. You never know. I mean, I think I think that's like I had a lot of struggles with like stomach problems. Like, Did you? Yeah, man. I was just – I always felt like I had like this crazy acid feeling in my stomach. 
It said he's aiming to get back in the gym, training hard by the end of February. Uh, that doesn't bode well for fans hoping UFC uh, 300 in April. No, I don't think he's going to be at UFC 300, but he might be in the June card when Connor returns. Mm. You know, they're going to need, they're going to want to stack that card up. How do you think that goes? Well, I don't like it that it's at 85. Is it actually they're, confirmed to 85? I don't know. I know I mean, he said that. He's but like, drinking wine and talking shit with a Rolex on. Like, who knows? Who knows? Bro, that man drinks. He does. That man drinks. That man does some yeah. stuff. But yeah, that he man likes drinks. to party. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't see. That's like. And he's also <sighs> he's getting older as well, and he's also coming off the sauce, right? So he gets on the sauce to and rightly so to re- recover from that bone injury. It's a significant injury. You snap your femur and your 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 tibia, rather, and your fibula. You snap those in half, and your ankles dangling. That's a long road back, and it's been two years now plus. And you know, if he really is going to fight in June, and he maybe just doesn't want to cut any weight, and he walks around at eighty-five. So what I was saying earlier is just two things I would do. One is every ten pounds. Two, I would try to figure out a way to stop weight cutting. I would try to yeah. figure out a way to get fighters to fight. I think almost killing yourself 24 hours before you fight in the cage is insane. Almost killing yourself by dehydration is insane. I think they should figure out what guys actually weigh when they are low body fat, hydrated, and say, this is your weight class. And this happens because there's not enough weight classes. Right. And don't you think like they could, instead of having fights scheduled at 155 and 170 and 185 what about more catchweight fights what about more guys fighting at what their natural weight is i don't understand why they don't do catchweight fights because there's so many like interesting matchups yeah. like one of them was always the gsp versus uh silva anderson silva mm-hmm. um but silva's losing weight to get to 185 yeah and gsp when he went up to fight 185 when he fought bisping he had to put a bunch of weight on. It was a struggle for him. He was eating like six times a day. He got sick. He was almost like throwing up all the time. Mm. He's like he's trying to eat so much food just to maintain the mass. Mm. I think that those fights are exciting, like super fights where guys go up a weight class or down a weight class. But I think the the, re, the real way to do this is to reshape the sport where you cut what I call sanctioned cheating out. Everybody's doing it. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that you don't really weigh 185, but you fight at 185 pounds. Like when I interview you mm. and you're 185, I'm like, how? When I interview Drekas, I'm like, how? How are you 185? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. You're not 185. You're fucking you. <laughs> fucking huge. Yeah, how are you 185? You're not 185. This yeah. is nonsense. You're really a 225-pound man. That's what you look like. That's what you are. And that's really what the weight that you should be fighting at. And I think guys would fight better. I think they would have le- less deterioration of their endurance over the course of a five-round fight if they weren't fucking radically dehydrated 24 hours ago. It's just, yeah. it's, it's avoidable. And then they, and, well, that's, that's that, the other part of it, too, like people that walk around. Like, let's say I walked around at 85. Well, if I fight at 85, I'm undersized. Right. I'm walking around at 85. You of got course. You've got fucking people cutting down. Like, There's only a few guys that ever right did now, that. I'm not that big. Frankie Edgar's the last guy that did that. Frankie yeah. Edgar's the last guy that was a champion that walked around at 155 and fought at 155. He's always and beat undersized. BJ Penn and Gray Maynard and beat all these guys at his natural weight. Yeah. But that's really not where he should. And he wound up at the end of his career at 135, which is really probably where he should have been all along. Yeah. But 
you know, trying to convince guys to do that when there's guys like you that are cutting the weight that are massive for that weight class, it's crazy. You would never do it. Bro, you shouldn't I don't, do I don't it. Don't fucking add the weight class. I'm tired of fucking cutting weight. I hate They cutting. should add the weight class. <laughs> they should have 185, 195, 205, maybe 215, 225. You should have seen me early in my career. Like I said, I was 174 fighting at 185. Mm. I was skinny as fuck. I've always been skinny. I'm what still kind of What did you do to put the weight on? Did you do so a this lot? is where I get to plug my guy, right? So I never had a strength and conditioning coach ever, ever. And when I got into, so I was sitting out of light one day coming back from Philadelphia practice uh, at Marquez. And at the light, this guy's like, yo, he's like, you're Joe Pfeiffer, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you should come by my gym one day. And I was like, yeah. Hey. Like, I was like, kind of like, eh. like, nah, probably not. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know you. Winds up, I winded up going, wind up hitting him up, like, yo, do you do personal training? And he was like, yeah, of course. His name's Adam Ferris. He owns a gym called Pursuit. Uh, it's right in Washington Township, like right around where I live, right? I worked with him. We didn't do anything crazy, anything hard or anything. I was skinny as fuck still because I just came off of being, you know, having two surgeries and all that stuff. I was still on the road back. And uh, after I won my 50 grand bonus and I won my debut, I was still super skinny. Yeah, I think DC interviewed me. You interviewed me once, and it was Miami. So from that time when I won my debut, I was still skinny. And I didn't have a chance to ever have like a power program because I took a fight a month after I won the contract. So, And then I didn't have a chance to have a weightlifting program because I'd had a comeback fight, and then I broke my ankle. So I never got a long enough period to build my body back. And I also didn't have a strength coach. Like I just, For some reason, I never thought I needed one. I made it to the UFC on the first before I continue. I made it to the Contender Series, hitting pads three days a week with the man that I brought, Sam Morpisa, who had a full-time job, and we would do it at 5 a.m., three days a week. I wrestled with my, my, one of my best friends um, who literally was only a wrestler, had no MMA experience, and he was like 5'7", and he was just like a sauced fucking wrestler, and that's it. <laughs> I literally and I sparred with crazy. And I sparred with Corey Anderson once a week. Wow. That's it. That's how I made it. That's how I was making all these fights, and I was knocking everybody out and doing all this. So now that I have structure, now that I actually have a system with Marquez, I have jujitsu with Jonathan Webb. Like, you know, I'd be fucking Gerald Merchart, the middleweight submission, highest fucking whatever. Dude got waxed. Like, didn't even come close to beating me. You know, so I, my jujitsu is underrated, and my wrestling is underrated. But I think it will come to light, you know, with, with a guy like Jack. But um, So you started the strength and conditioning program. So I started program, the strength and conditioning what, program. So what kind of stuff are you doing? So, just, man, I, like, I was doing a power program. So I do like a six to eight week power program, a deads, squats, and, and, and bench. But bench is kind of bullshit because uh, I care more about the explosive rep, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's what we care about because I'm just not putting more than 275 on a bench with my elbow. Right. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth the, the nerve pain. Right. It just doesn't make sense for me. So um, I'd be deadlifting a fuck, and I was squatting a fuck ton. I always wanted thick legs. I never had it. Um, and then now I started putting on size, and I wanted my back. I've always had a real big back, like strong back, like wide. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we were doing we were doing a power program, and then we would go right into, like, explosiveness and jumps and ladder drills and just doing real simple movements but a lot of functionality, like a lot of core twisting, a lot of med ball slams, a lot of kettlebell stuff. And, um, yeah, that's my coach right there, Adam Ferris. There Dude, a hole in the wall, small-ass mm-hmm. gym. Like, I hate those fucking things so much. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, those and, and single then, leg lunges are rough. Yeah, and then we would just, you know. Um, but but my point is, Joe, I gave myself time after I won 50 grand because then I could afford to eat the way I needed to. That I was basically, I was going to be evicted from where I was living if I didn't get side money from Dana, who gave me a place to live after I won my contract. And then when I got the 50 grand bonus, I was like, I'm going to fucking eat. Like, I get to eat good food. I can buy, you know, food's expensive, you yeah. know, so... Uh, yeah, I, I took like the next four or five ish months to build myself. And then when I came in against Gerald, you hyped me up. You were like, it's fucking size. And I was like, dude, <laughs> my ego. I was like, yes, finally. Yeah, you looked awesome. We called fucking skinny my whole life. Yeah, uh, well, not but, anymore, brother. Yeah, not no, anymore. Not at all. And then obviously we're doing all that work with uh, something that you've seen, um, the documentary through all that time. Mm-hmm. So now it's finally, uh, you know, hopefully we get to release it soon. But oh, you do have. There's the, the official trailer. Yeah. The well, we can. Trailer. We'll we'll play the trailer and uh, end on this. And listen, Joe, I'm a big fan. I'm fucking pumped for you. Thank um, you. I have uh, you know I'm I'm so fortunate to be in the position that I'm in to be able to watch these fights. And and one of my favorite things is to watch guys come up. I love it. And, Thank you, my man. And the the uh, Razak Hassan fight was to me was like. That's what I like to see, a guy with potential that's just like, oh, now you see it. Like, this guy's world championship potential. It's right there. Exactly. And that's the only thing I'll say, and I'll leave my last. If you look at Jack and you look at me, the way my mind is, Jack's not been able to climb to the top, but he's been against the best, and he's lost to the best. Me, and if you look at him where he is now, coming off an injury, 35 years old, do you look at him and say, hey, this guy could hold the belt? No. I think the general public would say no. If you look at me, there's a lot of question marks still. I still have to prove myself against a lot of good guys. I haven't beat anybody that's that good. So I'm really honest with myself, but I'm going to put myself on the map very soon. So I believe you. I'm excited. And thank you for having me my on pleasure, here. You know, this has been fucking, my whole life has been crazy since I got in the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Enjoy it, my friend. Okay, so this uh, when is this documentary coming out? When, when, when will people be able so, to see it? Uh, our fellow friend Alex Davis, we're working on it. Shout um, out to Alex. Can't say it yet, um, but this was actually the, uh, filmed by Chandler Henry, who is actually a kid that I went to high school with. So now I got him a job, and he does this for a living. And beautiful. This was made by him. So hope, we're hoping really soon. I just can't say it yet because okay. that, that's Alex's job now. All right. Well, Alex will take care of it. I'm sure. So we'll end on this, uh, and this is available online. You can watch it. It's uh, what is it called, Jamie? Official trailer, Journey to the UFC, Joe Pfeiffer. Go find it. And uh, February, what is the fight with Hermanson? February 10th. Main February event, 10th, Las Vegas. Main Super event Bowl from way. the Apex. Let's go. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. My pleasure. I've always believed, ever since I was a kid, that fighting isn't something you do. Fighting is something that chooses you. All my life, I was a throwaway kid. I was always terrified if I lost, I knew I was getting screamed at or I was gonna get hit. Being slapped, punched, kicked, thrown down, hair ripped to the point that I ran away from home just shy of 17 years old because I couldn't take it anymore. A lot of different people come from broken homes and they hold so much anger inside and, and hurt. That makes a person just become kind of like an animal, you know? Joe is just on this tear, and then he gets a call from Dana. Dana's like, I want to put you on the contender series. 
This is Joey's shot to get in there and a career-ending injury just happened right in front of my face. 18 years in the game at that point, gone. In Joe's case, this is the sort of injury that could absolutely end a career. This is an unforgiving sport. When you're the man, everybody loves you, but the second you lose, everybody forgets you. I wasn't ready to be forgotten. The pain that I know that kid went through and overcame in his life, if you want to beat him, you got to kill him. Joe didn't really find out that he didn't have a place to live. And he's like, what do I do? And I was like, you go to Vegas and you fight. makes his UFC debut after his week one performance on the Contender Series. Eight of his nine wins are by finish, and six of those are by knockout. This fight should be an absolute war. I'm scared for my life for the first time ever in any fight. Finally got a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Here is Joe Bunny If you want to get into the UFC and this is where you want to be, be Joe Pfeiffer. Woo!